0: Strictly come hamster. I am one of your hosts today. Uh, and in my usual style of preparing sodal for this podcast, I will immediately hand you over to my co host, Mr. Rod Brown, who knows all the rules and everything. He's basically my podcast wife. Over to you, Rod, podcast wife or podcast secretary.
1: I'm not sure which.
0: <laughs> you perform both adeptly. I have to say, thank you,
1: thank you. But yeah, don't reveal too much. Yeah, it's good to be back, and um, we're doing—we're back into modern series. Who so, um, I think last time we certainly set a few cats amongst the pigeons with our uh, season eighteen review, which attracted quite a bit of comment online. Uh, so tonight we're courting more controversy with a series which I'm sure we won't have different views on at all. <laughs> it's Jodie Whittaker's second series as the Doctor, series twelve. So yeah. And again, of course, we're joined by two very special guests tonight who are going to help us decide which story is going to lift that much sought after Lecursion Glitter ball, and who's being sent home to Pease Pottage. So let's welcome today's guests. Dylan, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Dylan, uh, Jodie Whittaker fanboy,
2: uh, season 12 stan and host of the podcast Doctor Who Too Hot for
1: TV. Welcome, I'm David
3: uh hello i'm david gillespie pratt and i'm the unknown element in this conversation (laughs) because i have deliberately kept my views on this season to myself so i'm ready to uh see how this goes (laughs) <laughs> David's been teasing us for days With refusing to say what his
1: feelings are I think we're all playing our cards a little bit Close to the chest, but David has been Completely zipped up, so <laughs> we've got No idea where he's going tonight
0: I've got a feeling, you know, i can got to sort of predict This, that he's going to be one of those Cheeky gits that's really contrary So all the accepted sort of Classics or highlights Of this season, classics. he's going he's to Hate, yeah, there's loads of them it, it, There's tons of them and all the ones that no one likes, he's got a champion. Well, oh, I think you might be disappointed.
1: <laughs> or surprised.
0: Let's find we out. We shall see.
1: So before we get into the story, should we just start a... We've been absolutely inundated with people's opinions. Opinions online, who knew? <laughs> um, should we uh, just look at a couple of them before we get into uh, the panel's thoughts? Joe, you wanted to start with yes, this Luke Malloy because you loved this. Uh... <laughs>
0: please can I read out Luke Malloy's comments Go for on it. season 12? Yes. Go for okay, it. so Luke Malloy has to say: not one new idea in the entire season. A TARDIS <laughs> team with no reason to travel with each other. Stories fluctuating between bad, boring, and brainless. Whittaker was a miscast lead, a choice that fails to make any of the show work. Stale and aimless. The worst season. Grim uninspiring unconfident TV splurge wow and that was
1: the end of Strictly Come for that. I don't think we need to say anymore uh, oh God,
0: I'd like you to read out
1: Jim Allenby's comment please I'm gonna force myself to read out Jim Allenby who said series 12 is nearly perfect am oh. It's where Jodie really finds her feet. 13 and Sasha's Master is one of the show's great pairings. Each story brings something to the table. And like it or loathe it, and I love it, the Timeless Children gave the show an
0: injection of something new. Johnny Morris says, very succinctly, it was better than Series 11.
1: You can take that in a number of different ways.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ross says, the
1: prose cinematography, music, production design Bradley Walsh, Sasha Dewan, The Doctor in a Tux, Fugitive of the Jadoon. But the cons, unresolved storylines, unresolved and pointless characters, all other companions and the Doctor's dialogue.
0: James Lark says, I found Series 11 admirable in many ways, but lacklustre. So 12 took me by surprise. Fun, funny, much better looking than the previous year. Its main flaw is substituting narrative with revelations, which creates an artificial sense of drama, but doesn't build story.
1: Jason Thompson said, overall, this season is hugely significant and pulled out some great surprises, but still seems disjointed and poorly conceived. Completely ignoring the whole Missy arc and bringing back the muster was a misstep. Surely just a line or two could have been added. So it's a big season, but bitty and poorly put together. And the best episodes are the ones that stand on their own.
0: Sorry, Jason, I love you, but why are people so bloody obsessed with knowing (laughs) this master chronology. Like, it's that important. We're Doctor Who fans. Um, Yeah, but the the, the
2: whole thing, and I'm sure we'll get us into this, but the whole thing that the master does is show up, completely reset every time, and they go, oh, how did you escape from so-and-so? Like, that is the cliche. And
0: boy, does this season
2: stick to some cliches.
0: (laughs) Chris Curtis (laughs) says, better than the previous one. Had some nice ideas and plot beats, but never really executed. 45 minutes is not enough time for a Who plot with multiple companions. The Doctor's role was weakened to fit them. Look how effective Joe Martin is as the Doctor without companions. I also feel that this series struggled tonally because of the insistence of jumping time zones and places. It happened quite a lot this season and it was an attempt to create drama. Instead, it just jarred and confused things.
1: And finally for this batch, Simon Hart said, personally, I rather like it. Lovely varied settings, some highs in Fugitive and Praxeus, yes it's great. Spyfall is a really exciting start. Can you hear me? Is a really different and great story. And I have no problem with the children, timeless children either. So that's some views from the Ham Fan. Should we go in and see what our guests think? Yeah. Oh, well, we've got to start with David, haven't we? He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's too <laughs>
0: so this mysterious. Is this is just a sort of general overview of the scene. General overview. Okay. So
3: I will be on. I haven't watched Series 12 since broadcast until about two weeks ago. And as I shared a Facebook post from my memories four years ago, which is about four years since Orphan 55, which I hated. Mm -hmm. And and I was one of those people. I've watched Doctor Who since I was about 10. This is the closest, it was the closest I got to tapping out because it was just what the hell is going on? I liked Spy 4 part one, and then we'll come on to what I made of part two. So when this came out, when, Rod got in touch and said, do you want to do series 12? I was on the verge of saying, I'm washing my hair that night. No, I can't do it. Because partly because I was like, I don't know if I've got anything good to say about it because it was a series at the time I just didn't enjoy. So I went back and, and went back with low expectations and partly because I see sometimes some very passionate people saying it's the best ever. And I was thinking this is, for me, it's like, this is the worst ever. So the more people get passionate, the more contrary I was getting. So it's like, the more I didn't want to watch it, the more people told me that I should. And I enjoyed it a lot more second time round than I did first. I think judging it on its own merits rather than what I thought it should be and what came after and everything. So it is a gorgeous season. I think it's got some of the best visuals of the revived series. I think the direction at times is incredibly good. Same as a lot of the production design. My, My issues... Some of the dialogue is horrible um, and clunky, and there's a weird thing that I noticed this time around. and it's because somebody pointed it out. And once you once you spot it, you can't not spot it. It's all these extra lines of exposition that have been added to describe things that we're actually seeing on screen. At times, it's like we've got a big finished script that they've filmed. So there's, there's,
0: that's exactly you know, what I've written
3: down, David. That's in my notes. <laughs> there's a bit, the two bits that stick out. There's one in <clears throat> where the, the tractor beam is taking the TARDIS aboard the Jujun ship, and they've dubbed in a line saying they've got us in a tractor beam. They're taking us aboard. Yes, we can see that. And the other one is the Siberium leaving Shelley, and you've got Yaz going, "It's the Siberium. It's leaving him." It's like, yes, we know. We can see it.
0: So the, 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 those those are those are my niggles. So that's the kind well, of where I sit. But you, I, mean you said you were ten years old. You first started watching Doctor Who yes whereabouts was that what was your first sort of story that's a tough one. when did I f- I think I became a fan with the planet of, Dal- planet of the Daleks repeats because oh, okay. I was just thinking about that line in you know he was the doctor all the time Doctor Who's always got expository lines in it Yeah. look at our Stephen Moffat script they're absolutely crammed full of expository lines it's just a lot wittier and that's why he gets away with it and,
3: and I think because the, there's the because some of the rest of the dialogue just doesn't It's quite functional. And the the thing is that Moffat, I'm trying not to, say, judge it in comparison to other things. I say I want to look at it on its
0: own
3: own merits. And I think sometimes the thing is Moffat's dialogue was clever, but I always felt Stephen Moffat was trying to write slogans for T-shirts and lines (laughs) for trailers (laughs) than writing sometimes good dialogue. I think of the three modern showrunners, Russell's kind of got that good balance between something quotable, but actually something that works as dialogue. So I think yes, it's a bit more natural. It's less showy, showy than Moffat's dialogue, but at times it's just a bit clumsy. But I, I, you know, I, I wrote more positive notes than I expected, and I've got, I, you know, it's not all. They're not all for the bin. So I've got some, some for deaf, some positive reviews coming up. Yeah, look.
2: Well, um, I suppose I've sort of had an opposite. Um, I mean, I didn't. I should say I didn't come to this and go, oh, actually, I don't like it this time. But in terms of coming to the first time round. I didn't like series 11 when it went out. Um, I didn't dislike it. I just thought it was all a bit flat. I've since revised that opinion quite a lot and love it. Once you've sort of got used to the change of tone and the change of pace and what it's trying to do. And also when it ceases to become the most important bit of Doctor Who, because it's the brand new episode, you can just sort of take it as it comes. So I went into this season with very low expectations when I first watched it um, and I thought it was a riot from start to finish. You know how everybody goes now, Doctor Who's back. That's what I felt like after not having my ups and downs with the Moffat era. Um, But I just thought it was the best that Doctor Who's ever been when it was broadcast. And there's still some of it that I think absolutely... There's one episode Mm -hmm. I will point out in here that I think is the best episode of the new series um, and, oh. prob- and probably not the one you expect. It's not oh. all from Fifty Five. I um, know. But- <laughs> you may have told me
0: this. I think I know, but, but we'll I just
2: thought. I think. I think it's got some fantastic scripts. I do. I will concede that perhaps exposition isn't his strong point in terms of uh, how he delivers it. But also remembering that this is, you know, on a on it, this is sort of high concept sci fi for a family audience on a Saturday. sometimes on a Sunday. Sorry. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to over explain in a way that. You know, when Moffitt was putting it out at half eight, when it was trying to be a high-end drama, you don't necessarily need to do that. But I think visu- visually, special effects, the direction, the set design, the location choice, the epic nature of time zones and countries and worlds and planets, I think it's the biggest and best Doctor Who has ever looked. And that sort of runs throughout the whole era for me. And as I often remark offline, I think it's a shame that that's been lost and Doctor Who suddenly looks a lot cheaper and a lot less ambitious because of it. So uh, This is the man
1: who gave Starbeast a uh, review two out of ten. (laughs) Ah, That's the (laughs) one. What a disgrace. (laughs) Shall I tell you what I think, Joe, so we get the negative out of the way before the positive? Yeah, go for it. I got that... I don't hate them, uh, the Chibnall era, so I'm going to put my cards on the table to start with. I'm not going to be waving placards, my father Ted, not my kind of thing. But I have problems with it. It just doesn't fire me up the same way that other eras have do, done. And I think there's kind of three reasons for that. One of them is I think the Chibnall era has got a lack of consistency of tone. And I think of all the other eras adopted, whether it's Letts, whether it's Hinchcliffe, whether it's Cartmel era there's a consistency to the way they're delivering stories. You think about the modern era, Russell's big, bold sci-fi ideas, there's loads of heart, loads of humour, lots of characters. Uh, Stephen Moffat, much more focused on story, timey-wimey, intricate plotting. I just don't get what Chibnall's shtick is. And because each of his three seasons are so very, very different, I just don't get what he's aiming at as a whole. What's he trying to do with Doctor Who? And sometimes that makes me feel that the the whole is less than the sum of its parts. It just feels a bit empty, a bit directionless, a bit visionless. I mean, I'll give you a really silly example, but it's kind of symptomatic of what I mean. So the opening of the show, we sometimes get the opening music, we sometimes don't. We sometimes get a cold opener, we sometimes don't. And that might be because various stories fit, but the feeling to me as a viewer is, You just don't really quite know what you're doing. You don't know what you're going for. It chops and changes too much. There isn't that consistency. And that's not all stories need to be the same, because I look at let's pick RTD in his first run. You get a slew of different types of stories, but there is a consistency. You know that's Russell's vision of Doctor Who. And I don't get that feeling across the whole of the tenure from Chibnall. So that's one of my kind of big bugs with him. The second one, ironically, these guys have already picked up is the horrible dialogue at times. Um, One, you're right, is very, very exposition. I I pulled one line out from Orphan 55. The doctor arrives and says, "Oh, when she arrives in the the hospital in 14th century, century Syria, she says, Bismaritan, that means sick place. This must be one of the oldest hospitals in the world. Of course, Islamic physicians were known for the enlightened ways they treated people with mental health problems. How is that
0: dialogue? That is the most that is a sound educational fact yeah. for the children. What you've got to remember there's now Moffitt forgot there were kids watching and didn't explain <laughs> anything or deliver any factual information. It was all a load of guff. And I can imagine William Hartnell saying
2: that line too, and
0: he's the yeah. governor,
2: you can't fuck with him. You I don't
1: think he was in, in a of mental
0: in health problem. Fact, hang on. Hang on. In the time middler, he has a whole sequence standing there on his own figuring out where he is. And he's like, ah, yes. And then William the Conqueror's coming over there, which means it must be 1066. But Joe, we're not in 1965 anymore. No, more's the pity. (laughs) Doctor Who was amazing back
1: then. So I think the expert dialogue is horrible. I also hate what he does to Jodie. And this is why I feel he he burdens Jodie's doctor a little bit. He gives her the kind of quirky, so-called humorous dialogue, and it doesn't land. I mean, I quoted a previous podcast when she said oh serious tech skills that's spelt with a z like what and in orphan 55 this just she says to kane oh i could have made you out of a box of crayons and a tin of spam
0: i know so many people that's their favorite line of dialogue in the new series what does that mean is that supposed to be funny yes it's the sort of bollocks matt smith came out with every week oh
1: get out of here come on
2: we, we but we, ha- we had in the Stephen Moffat era the, the Doctor not knowing what a woman was or what makeup was and things <laughs> like that. It's like, oh, I'm at going here. What's a table? I've never been upstairs now. before. <laughs> oh, no,
1: no. The humorous dialogue and the exposition dialogue is horrible. Um, and I'm also I'm going to get these guys shouting at me. The third reason I don't necessarily commit with this season as much is the companions. I think three companions is just too much. Um we'll go through this series there are so many times that graham and ryan it's always ryan graham and ryan or yaz and ryan are just stood in the background smiling gauntlessly at the camera as it pans around them they have so little to do one companion of you know it's great would have been great if it just been yaz and the doctor been really nice to see two women front and central it works really well i think in flux where you've got dan and yaz they work really well but three is just too much so Those are some of my problems. Having said Mm -hmm. that, in series 12, I do think Chibnall is starting to shape out what he wants to do, and I do think there are some big and bold and and interesting ideas in this series. So I will be saying some positive things. I did notice, though, re-watching it, how many times he's repeating RTD in this series. Mm -hmm. So we've got the master hiding behind that apparently sympathetic character. We've got the destruction of uh, Gallifrey. We've got celebrity historicals. We've got Captain Jack. We've got prophecies, lots of prophecies. We've got the Chameleon Arch coming back. We've got um, Cybermen coming back. We've got an emotionally damaged Doctor. And we've even got a surprise enemy popping up at the end and the Doctor going, what, 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 into the Christmas cliffhanger. So a lot of RTD. And the final irony is there's also quite a bit of season 23, which obviously is know, <laughs> Chris Chibnall was famous <laughs> for going on TV and berating. So we have yes. Orphan Fifty Five copying, mimicking mysterious planet with the Earth-based underground station. And we even have a morally dubious alternative version
0: of the Doctor, a la <laughs> the Valyard. What is it right? you said in that interview? Uh <laughs> There wasn't much to it, was there? (laughs) There wasn't much to it, which is the perfect summary of
1: the Chibnall era.
2: Uh, I don't think we can criticise Doctor Who for repeating itself, because at least half of those RTDisms were also repeated from other periods of Doctor Who. Doctor Who is famous for recycling itself. And wasn't it Stephen Moffat that basically said, the only two reveals you've got in Doctor Mm -hmm. Who are, it's the master or it's another doctor? So there you go. And I was that...
0: noticing that list you just d- detailed there were all ideas that Moffitt dealt with as well. And anyone who starts saying John Hurt was an original idea, that is basically the Valyard again. So <laughs> it's it's all been done before.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just squeezed into a short number of episodes. <clears throat> Joe, let's turn to you because I'm Hello. sure you're going you to be a beam of positivity.
0: Well, my first reason is the inconsistency of tone which I really love in this era, because <laughs> I feel like there's a horrible, smug sense of sitcomness about the Stephen Moffat era. Suddenly we're in an in era where you can go from something like a dark historical like Punjab to, you know, a, an interesting take on Amazon in the future in <laughs> what was that called again? Kablam! Uh, to the absolute you know, weirdness of it takes you away. I feel like it's Doctor Who distilled to jump from one thing to another. One of my favourite seasons of the classic series is season three, and it's all over the place tonally, and it's amazing. Doctor Who can cope with all of these tones and it should be doing different things my second reason is the dialogue because (laughs) I I got really annoyed with all those fucking jokes in the past era, they were so annoying nobody spoke like a person suddenly the dialogue has come down to a more naturalistic level and I'm actually hearing words that people might actually say in my life so suddenly I can start believing in the companions again and they're not, you know, these mad plot devices from the dawn of time or whatever, River Song and Clara and all all that bunch were. I think this is a really expensive looking season. It's probably as close as Doctor Who got to sort of looking like a movie in its time. And I think Taylor's right. I think our host, Power of the Doctor, the show does look cheaper than it did, which really surprises me with all that Mickey Mouse money being poured in. (laughs) It's a hugely ambitious year as well. Most importantly of all, what I love about 12 is it um, delivers promises at the beginning of the season the destruction of Gallifrey, big secrets coming. And then it delivers on those promises at the end of the season in a way that so many of those arcs we've had before fail dismally. You might not like the answers, but it actually says, we're going to give you this, and then it gives you this. And it does it through a series of surprises, the roof doctor and things like that, you know? So I actually think props to Chibnall for actually having a robust arc that starts with a promise and ends up with some delivery. And I just like the diversity of the season as well. I've just made a small list of where, where this season sort of goes through. We have a bomb pastiche. We have a Sylvester McCoy pastiche, as we'll get into later. We're all from 55. Uh, you've got uh, an intriguing glimpse at history. A contemporary thriller. An environmental chiller. Um, dark fantasy. A literary horror and then a sort of a tough, a ballsy science fiction story in essentially The men before a sort of mythos explosion at the end of the season. And it weaves through all of those. It's a really, really ambitious year. It looks amazing. I'm like Dylan. I watched this and gobbled it up. And I don't think I gave a single episode less than 8 out of 10 when I reviewed them at the time. I loved it then, <laughs> and I love it now.
1: So, as you can tell, we've got quite a variety right, right <laughs> of views on this podcast tonight, which should make the individual stories quite interesting. Should we go back and finish the the overall conversation before we get into the individual stories and the battle commences Let's properly? Let's see what
0: these idiots think, shall we? Come on. So,
1: Dave Rennie said... Season 12 is a much more ambitious season after the gentle season 11.
0: Sorry, Dave, you're not an idiot, really. Uh, Darren (laughs) LitRoundles says, I was surprised how gripped I was by Spyfall Part 1, but then Part 2 happened, and I thought the series dire until Haunting of Villa Diodati turned up. Series 11 had moments, but with this, my enjoyment of regular New Who was at an all-time low.
1: Jeff C said, I'm going with all of it as the best, predictably but unashamedly.
0: Oh, go on, Jeff uh michael storm feels a bit of an uneven mess with plenty of setups that never get satisfactory resolution both of chibnall's two parters have promising part ones but go terribly pear-shaped in part two while the season has a more defined arc not really put together well with jack turning up to essentially give exposition once again it's the episode written by the guest writers which are the highlights aside from orphan 55
1: obviously Chris Hogben said a much stronger season, second season for Jodie, Master Surprise and Spyfall, the She Must Be the Rani discourse in Fugitive, and Haunting Having one of my favourite Cybermen stories for years. Even the weak stories, such as Ben Fogle's mum yelling for <laughs> Benny, had charm. <laughs> I kind of get the direction the show's going into, especially leading into Flux. I did think, though, that Ryan was superfluous to a lot of the plots.
0: Oh, he's so pretty, though. Um, Craig Williams (laughs) says, I think it speaks volumes, that there are episodes in this season I've never rewatched, much preferred the previous year.
1: Crushed Dummy said, after a very solid season 11, 12 is a roller coaster with massive highs and some lows.
0: Stephen Rhodes, my least favourite of Jodie's seasons, but still love lots of it, particularly the final three. After seeing Flux, I thought this season might have made a better six-parter comprising of all the Timeless Child, Fugitive Doctor, Cyberman and Master stuff.
1: Andy Parkinson says, I can't think there's a story I particularly dislike, but I can't think of any that really excites me. I think series 11 and Flux are much better Jodie seasons. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think eight with anxiety is being contrary i can't think of a single episode Was it a, of a 13 episode i don't like i think he means 12 right wow. yeah. yeah we got joe and sasha and ryan in a suit which didn't offend my eyes
1: Halen, the big talking bird said what i would consider <laughs> the most polarizing run of the chippenall area it features some of the best episodes and some of the absolute worst
0: we're nearly there, folks. Don't worry. Electronic Dan, my favourites are Villa Diodati and Nikola Tesla. Worst are Orphan Fifty Five and the Timeless Children. Not unsurprisingly, I usually don't like season finales.
1: James H said, "This is a stormingly good season, showcasing the wide variety of stories the Doctor Who can produce. The reveal of the Master, the Gate Kiss in the TARDIS, the expansion of law, the references, and the fugitive Doctor. Absolutely loved it all."
0: Not really, Midge. Euro says weakest Whittaker season. It's very love it or hate it, isn't it? Yeah. Hate is spy for you doing works, but only because of the twist, so probably doesn't stand a rewatch. I know it does. The finale the finale was a mess. Can't think of an episode worth seeing again. Season eleven felt fresh, so Chibnall's decision to splurge on continuity feels retrograde.
1: Paul Smy said a mixed bag with some episodes I never want to experience again. <laughs> Controversially, my favourite is *Ascension of the Cyberman*. However, it's followed by *Timeless Children*, not good.
0: And finally, S Jam can't answer. It stopped me watching. What wow. oh, a lovely
1: place to. Have- Damning we're onto the individual stories we're on to round 1 so we've got eight stories because so we are putting the two two parties together as one so we're each going to cover two stories uh let's start with argon let's start with david cuz we are all so
3: intrigued you you're, you're on the edge pick. of your seat so um I, I made i made a little list going i know you're going to you're going to ask us to pick one i thought i'm going to i'm going to put down the ones i want to do so i'm going to i'm going to start positively i'm going to start with fugitive of the jadu which um let me just find my notes. Because um, I thought, I'd, I'd prepare, i do this properly. So th- yeah, this, it's a tough one to judge, kind of knowing what it reveals and what comes later. And I know a lot of people kind of like, they don't do much with the fugitive doctor. They kind of drop this revelation and she just ends up sort of popping up a couple of times and there's no definitive answers. But it's like, I'm going to look at this kind of as, a, as an episode in its own right. And when I was sitting watching it last week, I just normally... I get easily distracted, you know, you either on your phone or what. For the majority of this episode, I was glued to this. And it's one of the few of the season that really got me properly watching. So, first reason for saving this one is Joe Martin. And I think Joe Martin is kind of been the revelation of this series and the Chibnall era in terms of actors they found who've just delivered great performances. And she delivers about three separate performances in this story you've got the initial likable ruth as a human kind of doing her thing trying to get people on her tour and isn't she charming isn't she lovely and then you get her when she's scared and there's clearly something going on she just sells it and then when she turns and they've had that fight scene in the church the cathedral wherever it was and again that just felt really well done she was selling it but the best bit of the whole episode for me was the scene between joe and jody in the car mm. where i think that was actually some of jody's best work in this season as well because how to put it that she's up against someone who's delivering a good performance and that causes her to raise her performance as well because just going back to rod's point before about some of the fam <laughs> some of them are not the best Um, in terms of performance. And I don't think always they bring out the best in Jodie. The guest stars are the ones who bring out her best performances in this season. And I think that's Joe Martin as Ruth. So that's my first reason for keeping it. Second is that it, the reveal for me was that the plot twist of the fugitive doctor was a genuine shock. And in this day and age, you can very rarely do a genuine plot twist. And Mm -hmm. Even the bi-generation and everything, that had kind of been leaked, and some of the stuff like Timeless Children, that had been leaked. But certainly from my trolls of the intran- internet and everything, The Fugitive was not something... I knew was coming up. It was sort of spoiled for me because I didn't watch this episode live because we were on holiday at the time. We were um, that particular night. We were up in Kielder Observatory doing a night in the dark sky park. So as soon as we started driving back to a hotel, and my phone goes back into connection, all these people are texting me saying, "Oh my God, have you seen Doctor Who tonight?" I go, "No, I haven't. I've been, I've been we've been out stargazing. Haven't seen a thing." So the, the the twist was was ruined. I knew it was coming before I got a chance to see the episode, which was a bit of a shame because I. I was robbed of that that sense of oh my god are they actually doing this? But they had the balls to do it, and I think what was even better. I'm not a fan of Jack as a character, but the fact that they went and got him back in, I think, as a div- as a diversion because that had yeah. leaked, and I was I was left kind of thinking, have they leaked this deliberately as a bit of a oh the big twist in Future of the Jujun is Jack's in it? Well, actually, no. There's th- so there's actually a plot twist, and there was some proper sleight of hand to throw people off the scent. So I think there are times where, obviously, in the publicity and everything in the Chibnall era, where they're not giving anything away. That doesn't help the publicity of your series. But sometimes when you've got a really good twist and a really good surprise, it works. And I think it works to this episode's benefit. And it still works, even though you know it's coming. I think it's structured really quite nicely, and I think it's written really well. I love the direction in this. I think there was a real sense from about after the sort of jokey sort of 10 minutes this was building to something so sort of tying into the twist you know something's coming you know this isn't just going to be a reveal of a character it's like there's the the direction is really selling this is something big and it's down to jody's performance how it's how how it's shot the music when they get to the lighthouse there's that real palpable sense of this is significant (laughs) so it is a bit of a shame that joe martin is wasted after this and we don't get more of her on screen, because I think she was absolutely fantastic. It is a shame that the, you know, we talk about the crowded TARDIS, the fam get completely, totally sidelined after about 20 minutes. They go off with Jack, and they're all together, and basically anytime they cut back to those scenes, it's like, no, no, I want to go back to the other story. And I think for three of your regulars to kind of siphon them off into a plot line that, you know, even the return of Jack isn't as interesting as what's going on over here, that's a bit of a shame but this was really good this was refreshing if the re- if the whole season was of this standard i wouldn't have a problem but this is probably one it's not my favorite of the season but it's up there should we go to the comments before we go
1: into
0: yeah let's do it
1: response so james lark said a strong start gives way to a series of ooh look moments which for me didn't stand up to scrutiny as they were happening let alone on reflection Fans were clearly delighted, but goodness knows what casual viewers made of it. Or is this where casual viewers just gave up? It's the modern equivalent of Arc of Infinities. Omega controls the Matrix. It doesn't (laughs) matter how dramatic you make it look or sound. Anyone not invested is bound to respond with a hearty, so what? With a fan hat on, I forgive it entirely for one reason, which is that it gives us Joe Martin. On the other hand, it's definitely a mistake to make a series of Doctor Who where there's suddenly a more interesting and mysterious Doctor than your actual lead. Oh,
0: nonsense. Objective. Jason... Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it always is, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> Jason Thompson, a pivotal episode, of course, but the B plot with the companions has nothing whatsoever to do with the episode itself and instead a setup for the end, bringing back... Jack, just to talk about the upcoming episode he won't even be in. Frustratingly, things are set up and then discarded. Why is Gats? He likes his details, Jason. He likes them all ticked properly. Why is Gats sending the Jadun after the Doctor? Maybe we'll find out when we come back to her at the end of the season with the Doctor in prison. Or maybe she'll be broken out of prison and that will never be mentioned again.
1: Melvin Pinner said, there's been no episode of Doctor Who that I've watched more times than the week of transmission than Fugitive. I watched it eight times that week. Wow. My jaw still hurts from hitting the floor of Joe <laughs> Martin's shocking <laughs> revelation. She was an absolute powerhouse as the Doctor from moment one.
0: Eight times? I don't think I've ever watched. Have you guys ever watched an episode more than eight times the week of transmission? No. no. The week, week of, of transmission? transmission. <laughs> Limey. Fraser Gregory. Oh, here we go. Contrary Mary. Come on, Fraser. Fraser Gregory says, Least favourite is The Fugitive of the Judoon. Smoke and mirrors. It doesn't stand up to a rewatch and delivers a very unpleasant doctor.
1: I love Fraser. He just goes the opposite every time, doesn't he? Jack- You've got to get attention
0: you? somehow, haven't you? Like, come on. <laughs>
1: Jack Coyer says, this goes down thanks to the finale. Joe Martin does a terrific job with every second of screen time she can muster through this era. However, I wish I had a chameleon arc who could remove the most painful comedy of the era with the bakery guy who likes Ruth. <laughs> I love that. I love that guy.
0: He's terrible. Uh, Gareth Bowles. I like says, it. I
1: like it. Terrible. Yeah.
0: <laughs> most Chibnall's comedy is terrible, but I still love it. I'm teasing you. Um, (laughs) Gareth Bowley (laughs) doesn't go anywhere beyond shoehorning in a new Doctor. Plus, especially bad, this incarnation upstages the current one.
1: Not the mind probes says one word. Wow.
0: Chris Curtis loved Fugitive for its boldness and almost RTD shocks, but then falls down.
1: And Big Orange Michael says, best of the series is Fugitive. It felt epic when I first watched. Right, so... David's made a good champion for this episode. Dylan, are you on board or not? I'm absolutely on board, um,
2: unsurprisingly. Uh, The the first thing I want to mention, realistically, and it's quite a minor thing, but it's set in Gloucester. And this is just indicative of what this show, of this era of the show, does of not just giving us London or Cardiff or Cardiff being London. And every episode that they land on the planet Earth and beyond, you're wondering where it's going to be. So just to have it set in Gloucester, it's just another little tick. And seeing the Jadoon wander around a duck pond and things like that (laughs) is just. You know, uh, the, the antithesis. It's it's peak Doctor Who for me. It's peak Doctor Who. The second thing um, is The Division. I love it. It's giving Gallifrey, Gallifrey in history, a darker side, getting away from that Arc of Infinity thing of people hanging around what looks like an advertising agency in the 80s in big collars. Um, I, I, the Doctor as a Time Lord agent is something that, if you're somebody like me who's obsessed with and sort of extended universe media, that you're... You you know, that's something that's been seeded before and to to see it on television, I think is is really exciting, even if we only get a little bit of it. And it really makes the Time Lord Society feel like a layered one and not just a bunch of bickering old old men and women. And then the third, just Captain Jack and his return and his interaction with Graham. Uh, I know it was a short-lived return because John Barrowman's a very naughty boy, but um, I just, it was... It was great to see him again. And, you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, he's only there to deliver a plot point. But that's fine. He's only there to deliver a message. And people go, well, it should have been seeded and played off later. But Jack is delivering a message of something the doctor shouldn't do, and the doctor goes against the advice. So you can say that he's sort of ripped out of that timeline, essentially, because he's there to go. You need to go. You need to go the right way with this, and he's probably dead somewhere as a big face in in that version of the universe, anyway. Having, so
0: having that in this episode means that when the Cyberman turns up in Dear Daugherty, there's already weight yeah. behind him turning up in Dear mm. It works. I, I also think a lot of Doctor Who
2: fans. Uh, are guilty of two things. Number one, only watching Doctor Who and programs from the 1970s and 80s and not watching modern television. And two, worrying about casual viewers as if people aren't used to tuning in week by week to a TV show and going, oh, I need to see last week's episode before I watch the new one. Who just dips in and out of a TV show anymore? You watch it all. You might not watch it all on transmission. You might watch it a year later or six months later or two months later. So the idea that a casual viewer is going, I don't know what that doctor is or I don't know who that character is or what they're meant to be doing there or what or tune in in a few weeks ago. Why is everyone so worried about a lone Cyberman? Everybody watches every episode.
0: Why were you looking at the three of us when you detailed what a Doctor Who fan was then?
2: <laughs> I was looking at the three of you, because you're the three people I can look at. <laughs> Fair enough. I, Fair uh, enough.
0: You know, I say this, that
2: if you couldn't see this image of Jodie Whittaker behind me, you would see DVD shelves full of Network and Hammer horror films and old ITC shows. So don't. I am... Just as guilty of watching lots of old television, too. But, you know, I I, I watch the odd modern television show myself, you know.
0: And, and the complete collection of myth makers, which I'll never stop going <laughs> on about, is my favourite <laughs> thing in your collection.
1: <laughs> Shall I go next, Joe, so that it build up some sense of tension, whether this is going to go through or not? Oh, I'll keep going. laugh Scornet. Go on. Well, I'm not going to put this one through. oh uh, to-
0: whatever. Yeah.
1: This one is off to Pea's pottage for me. So the first third of it, I think, is horrible. Um, I'd forgotten quite how horrible the first third of it is. It feels so children's ITV. Um, It's just awful. It's worse than the Sarah Jane Prisoner of the Jadoon. It's got that same vibe, but a much cheaper and more childlike version of it for the first third. We established Ruth. We know she's nice because she talks to swans. She's called one of them Freddy, so she must be (laughs) nice. She she says hello to little children and old ladies. She's really nice. Her husband, Lee, he's very naughty. He's very mysterious because he keeps looking at the camera in a very mysterious (laughs) way. And the worst bit is when the doctor goes into the flat and brings out the box and he says, oh, I've never seen that box before, and the look—I don't think that the box was, almost was quite like that. It was. wasn't <laughs> quite that bad, and the doctor doesn't even twig. Um, so there's no surprise when it turns out that Ruth is in fact the fugitive, the Jadoon invading in air quotes Gloucester. I've never seen a more half-hearted invasion in my life. Helen, <laughs> you just mentioned wandering around duck posts. That's, That's it. Hilarious.
2: Where's the terror? But, Where's but the they're not they're not invading, are they? Ju- they've just come to do a
1: job to pick
2: yeah. someone up.
0: Yeah. I don't, don't think you was paying attention to this yeah. episode, would the population right? be
1: slightly concerned if rhinos turned up? They're stood there generally chatting to them, showing them their paperwork.
2: It's it's in- called fugitive of the digital, not uh, invasion, invasion, invasion. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, all is Alan. Jesus wow. Oh, he's my what favourite character. All is Alan and his <laughs> dossier. It is awful. And then when he meets a Jadun, what's he say? Watch it, you big lunk. That's really <laughs> realistic dialogue,
0: isn't <laughs> it? I'll I'll have you know, Rod, I am always Joe at my work, you know. (laughs) So you be careful what you're saying. (laughs) I I, I think sometimes uh,
2: Doctor Who fans forget that the Earth has been invaded approximately four billion times (laughs) by now. So the the fact that someone's a bit nonplussed when giant rhinos show up isn't necessarily um, a shock, you know. It's very in keeping with the universe that that Doctor Who exists in.
1: Watch it, you big lunk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. So that's one reason. I just hate the beginning. Second one, ironically, because Dylan's just given it as a plus, is Captain Jack. He is super cringy in this episode with his dyed hair. Ryan calls him cheesy about three times and he's not wrong. What does he give us? Oh, he gives us half-baked prophecies. Oh, I'm losing signal. I can only tell you. Beware the lone Cyberman. Why did he just
0: say what's going on? How many <laughs> times do we have half-baked prophecies in modern? Yeah, you've era? all moaned yeah. about them, and now
1: <laughs> you <thinking> suddenly <laughs> exactly yeah, like them. Yeah,
0: now we like them now.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Contrary buggers. Oh, so this is supposed to be a game-changing episode, and we spend time with Captain Jack talking about a future episode where actually what he said doesn't make any difference at all. Because the Doctor, well, we'll come on to Dilladotti dilla later on, but... What Jack says has no bearing on what the Doctor does whatsoever. And personally, I just don't think John Barrowman's style fits this version of Doctor Who. He looks a little bit out of it. And then finally, the revelations. It's difficult to judge them at this stage because this is only part of a much bigger picture. And yes, at the time I was uh, aghast when we found the Berry and Ruth's Doctor came forward. I thought, oh my God, this is really bold, this is big, this is different. Um, but I think we've got to kind of park what we think of all that till we come to the finale, because we don't really get that much payoff for it here. And my big problem with this is once we've left the beach, it becomes very, very static. These big revelations are just on board the TARDIS or on the Jadoon ship with people talking. We're not seeing anything. We're not seeing it. I'm going to reference a, uh, a Moffat episode. So, Joe, put your fingers in your ears. In Name of the Doctor, when Clara's backstory is revealed, We see all the clips of her interacting with previous doctors. We get to see it. We feel it. It's grand. It's dramatic. We see it and feel it. Here, we've just got three people stood in a room talking. It's very, very static. And it just doesn't sell it. And after all these big revelations, they go into the TARDIS. And what's the doctor say? Oh, there's a switch buzzing. Let's go off on another jolly adventure. Come on, everyone. It's It's the equivalent of time flight. Um, we just forget everything that's just happened and go off on the next adventure. So at this stage, the revelations don't work for me and I'm junking it. Doctor
2: Who does always go off on another adventure no matter what's just happened, though, <laughs> doesn't it? That that is, that is what the show does. Do you remember Amy's cummy baby? You know, if that all what of a sudden... <laughs> to,
1: be, to actually tell us we're going to do that, if we just... Ended.
3: It, hang, the, it hangs like, a hat on it. It kind of acknowledges that, yeah, we are going to just distract. But the one the one thing I liked about that last scene, and it was, apart from the, the confrontation with a fan where somebody was killing the, the, the atmosphere in that scene, not mentioning names, Ryan, um, who you might discover is, I am not a fan of. Um, the one oh, thing that he, they did... He is which,
0: pretty, though. He is pretty.
3: No, yeah. That's all you say. Yeah, but, very so is so a nice tree, and it's about as wooden. Um, <laughs> that The Doctor yeah. actually tells them what's happened because what frustrated me with some of the stuff later on in flux and everything is that the doctor's not being very open about hunting down the division all and actually you think oh she actually she didn't tell them about gallifrey so, so the fact that she actually ignores that rule of drama of characters don't tell other characters what's going on it was like oh she actually i forgot she does actually tell them what's happening. and that was not. actually really quite refreshing
0: I suggest you don't watch the Sylvester McCoy era then, all right? He sits on a lot of secrets, that fella.
1: <laughs> Come on then, Joe, you big lunk. Tell us what you think. It's well, one of the Of course,
0: this is the one episode of the year I'm going to junk. Oh. oh. No, I'm lying. Um, I just did it for suspense. No, I think David's right. I think the way this is structured is brilliant. And in fact, it's a triple whammy, isn't it? Because it's the Jadoon back in. Oh, maybe that's a surprise. No, it's Captain Jack in. Maybe that's a surprise. And then the surprise actually turns out to be. So in terms of structure, I think this is really well done. My first real reason is the first sort of third of the episode. Which (laughs) No, I'm not going to be that contrary. Although I do think it's light and summery. And we're doing Contemporary Earth in a really fun way. I don't think it's anywhere near as CBBC as you're suggesting if I'm mm. honest. I think, I think it's it's got some nice witty lines in it. The Roof right, Doctor. The Roof Doctor. Now, can I ask you... Because, Dylan, you didn't really say what you thought of the Roof Doctor. What do you think of the Roof Doctor?
2: Uh, well, I mean, I'm going to be very contrary here. Um, you I hate th- her. No, I don't hate her. I think that Joe Martin is fantastic as Ruth, but she gives me nothing in her 11 minutes of screen time. But it's hard as, to do as, it in
0: that much screen time, isn't it? What, what, what,
2: what, what I mean is, she, there's nothing about her as the Doctor, or as, the Ruth, uh, as Ruth, to say she is the sort of actor that should be cast as Doctor Who. And I'm not saying she can't do it. I'm just saying she she doesn't get enough time as the Doctor. So I'm just sort of stood there going... And it kind of works because it's an earlier version of the Doctor, we think. But I, I, I do... I, I like her as a concept, but Joe Martin hasn't done anything to prove to me that she is up there with a Jodie Whittaker or a Peter Capaldi or a William Hartnell that has that that same, I don't want to use the word gravitas because it's an over, overused word, but that that certain energy that just the actors playing the Doctor always seem to bring to the part. But that is not the problem of Jadoon. That is the problem of later on. And when the BBC finally released that, uh, uh, let Big Finish release that Fugitive Doctor box set, we can see what she what she might have really been like as the Doctor.
0: Well, I think Jody Whitaker's already a pretty incredible doctor, but I agree with David. Suddenly, when Jody's up against Joe Martin, those scenes in Natalia the say they sizzle. They're really witty. The timing's excellent. It's like watching the best of the three doctors, the two doctors, the five doctors combined. I, I could have done with a couple of stories of the two of them, actually. Mm-hmm. I feel like John Hurt gets a pass because we went on like a character arc within a single episode, whereas we just sort of get these little vignettes of Joe Martin and it ain't really enough. But I'm intrigued, I'm enticed. I just wish we'd got a bit more later. I love that you're doing in this as well. I think um, Nicholas Briggs, who has been overused in the new series, does a really fun performance as the, what's his name? He's got the name of a Doctor Who fan. Paul Condon. Condo. It's, it's Paul yeah. Con- Condon, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He's really fun. I think until he gets his Hold horn on. ripped off by Joe Martin. I'm not sure what that bit's all about, actually. Suddenly, she, she, suddenly
2: she's got super strength. It's just disgracing. It's just disgracing the Jadoon, But she's 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 a she's a soldier, isn't she? Just before she turns into William Hartnell and becomes a decrepit old man,
1: she's 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 a super grabbing sh- people's horns yeah, <laughs> and yanking
0: them. <laughs> the uh, the thing about the companions being shunted off to the side, yeah, it's a bit of a problem. But I like all the fun interaction with Jack, and I like the fact that Jack pretty much thinks every single person he meets is the Doctor. Uh, because he doesn't actually meet the Doctor in this episode. I do think dropping the exposition, the the thing about the Lone Simon in the middle of the season was a good idea because it does allow us to prepare for the shocks at the end of the season. Uh, Whoever said this was well-directed, this is superbly directed. That sequence outside the lighthouse as she's climbing up and the camera's going around, you've got all the beach in the background. I mean, it just looks gorgeous, This Her digging up the TARDIS. It's imagery you never forget. Why is it a police box, though, Joe? Oh, I don't care about that nonsense, (laughs) honestly.
2: (laughs) Because the TARDIS has always been a police box and then at some point it takes its old school form and then Hartnell takes it and it goes and gets stuck in the police box form again.
3: It'll all be explained in the big finished box set that Joe's going to love.
0: I'm not that person. Well, I probably won't. Odds are. Um, I'm (laughs) not that person that needs to box everything into one big story like that. So I don't care why it's a TARDIS. It's the TARDIS. She's the Doctor. That's an amazing shock. And it rocked fandom at the time. I can remember Twitter exploding after this episode. And it completely justifies Chibnall's... Judicious use of marketing by not throwing every twist in every trailer. It meant that on the day, like Sasha Dwan's master in Spyfall, you got the shock. You jumped out of your seat. You were really excited. I think that's all the excuse you need to put a bit of a blanket of secrecy over the series coming out. I think it's confident. I think it's fun, brilliantly acted, brilliantly directed. Of course, it's going through. It's a season 12 classic.
1: So, Fugitive is through. So, we're on to our second story. Dylan, your pick. I'm going to pick
2: Praxeus or Praxeus, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I said earlier I was going to champion something as possibly the greatest single. And by single, I mean single episode of Doctor Who, as in something that nails the format. No uh, nails Doctor Who as exactly what I think it should be, and that is Praxeus. I think it's who, who per-
1: invited Dylan on this <laughs>
2: <laughs> The man's a fool. I think it's a perfect script. I think it looks better than anything we've seen in Doctor Who before or since. I think it's an it's basically the plot of Quatermass told in a in a, in a new and exciting way. Somebody give Pete McTier a Quatermass remake. In fact, somebody give Pete McTie the Doctor Who series because he is the he is the showrunner that, that that I want. It's got tension. It's got horror. It's got these the, the, you know the threat of the birds. The most amazing VFX. Uh, all the characters get something to do. All the characters that are introduced, like the fam, the, the two new characters in it, the three or four new characters, they all get beginning, middle, and ends of their stories and their plots. Um, so my first point is just that I think it's the single greatest episode of, <laughs> of, of, of Doctor Who. I'm uh, sold. Just going for it. My, the next one is just the direction. It's top tier. Jamie Magnus Stone will come back again and again. Um, and, you know, there's just so many... Exciting choices. You know, we go from the spaceship coming into orbit to bottles crashing on the floor in a supermarket. There's drone work. The color palette is off the chain. The lighting looks better than anything else on British television. It is a masterpiece of direction. And Doctor Who has never looked as good as as it will do in that episode. And then the third thing is just the representation. The gay couple, but it's never mentioned that they're gay. Um, the different current countries that our, our support cast are from and the different origins of them. It's just a bunch of humans affected by a global threat that it doesn't matter where they're from, who they are, what their sexuality is. They're just there. And it's a beautiful love story uh, at the heart of it. And a, a love story with a troubled relationship because re- relationships have their ups and downs. And it's not because they're gay and it's really hard being gay or whatever. It's just a, a lovely, happy, St- uh, love story between those two characters within that dylan
0: the the amount of positive masculinity which is a term i've learnt this week um is astonishing for for television i just don't think we see enough of it and the sequence between graham and the running man from the big finish covers i forget his name but he's the <laughs> one who's always running on the covers <laughs> Warren Green, thank you. Oh, it's so hot. Um, You're not supposed to be speaking yet. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> get back in your box. Get back sorry. in your box. Sorry. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Right. <laughs> well,
1: that's spoiled that one, hasn't it? All the tension straight out the window. Oh, but well, you-
0: I've got different reasons, so Don't worry. <laughs>
1: Bucket of cold waters for Joe Ford. Um, (laughs) Shall we go to
0: the comments? I'll go first this time, shall I? Go for it. Jason Thompson says, My favourite, I think, stands on its own nicely, addresses a topical concern without beating you over the head with it. It pretty much does what the 70s Auton stories did, centering an alien threat around a real issue around overuse of plastic and ends well.
1: Michael Storm said "Praxis falls into second place, though not sure about the voiceover.
0: No, not the mind probe. Superb. Like a virgin new adventure. Ooh.
1: Daniel Wrongsley said least favourite of the season is Praxeus, but only because I haven't really felt compelled to revisit it since first viewing. There's still some lovely stuff in there.
0: Jack Coya, a relief to split the fam up for a bit, so they're not hanging on each other's coattails. I appreciate that we've worked out how to wrap a positive social message within an engaging sci-fi conceit. Excellent effects, prosthetics on those infected by Praxeus.
1: Paul Quinn said Praxius is so well shot. Some of those early scenes are stunning. Some of the best cinematography in the programme.
0: And finally, who gives a flux an underrated gem? Only one negative comment there. David, should we go to you?
3: So when I was doing these, I was trying to you know do the, what am I keeping? What am I binning? And next to Praxius, I've put on the fence because there were bits of this that I really liked and there were bits of it that I didn't um so kind of under my prose i've got you know good topical concept and it's in somebody said that in the comments it feels like it's weaved through the story i think it's got a message but the story is the message better than what orphan 55 does which it it felt very grafted on rather than actually part of the story um it's one of the few where it's got that globe trotting concept that this era loves but it actually is to its benefit i think it 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 Helps tell the story. It sounds really just copying everybody else. A very genuine gay couple, and not sensationalised. <laughs> but I, I think, as a gay man and everything, just to see it not being an issue, and in a show like Doctor Who, is a it, it is a big mm. deal. And the fact it's not commented upon, it is they're very as normal as you can be while you're infected with the alien virus <laughs> to come all the TARDIS. But
0: it's say, still no Doctor one, Who, David. It's still Doctor Who. No one bats an
3: eyelid, and I think that 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 that's to its credit. Um, location it looks great uh i think all the stuff on the beach looks fantastic the effect of the birds and everything is good and the 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 effect of praxis itself i think is one of the it, it's a fantastic visual effect and i think it's one of the sort of strongest of the series because it's quite subtle in some respects on my con side is again there's that, that that overuse of expositional dialogue the whole thing with the bird in the backpack where i think ryan says something like it's puts out say it's that bird I you know it's like again we know we've seen it just it, it's reiterating something we saw 30 seconds ago it's a bit like watching the Daleks in colour where we're having flashbacks to something we saw 30 seconds ago it's because they um, assume
0: you know you're on your phone like you said you were throughout most of the season so they keep even, repeating it just even in case they haven't got that short of attention
3: span um and there's that thing that and and I think I touched those we did smile there are times when you think the writer hasn't been at school for 20 years because, like, you do, dis- you do dissection, going, I don't think they've done dissection in schools for about 25 years. <laughs> but it just, it, it just, I don't know why, it just really bugged me going, this, yeah. You... And then Ryan goes and does it. Um
0: I mean, you just got to cut it in half, really, you, and see what's inside.
3: Um, And there's some really odd emotional beats towards the end. So I can't remember the character's names, which is terrible, but um the the two vloggers and her friend is you know her friend has died and it's already tried and then by the end of the, you know, she's already trying to recruit halfway she's trying to recruit yas and then she's trying to recruit the other two it's like but your friend your friend your traveling companion your close personal friend has just had a horrible horrible death and it's like oh well i'm going to recruit some more people and i don't know i just considering <laughs> that what this series goes for is being more grounded and being kind of more it, it just doesn't feel emotionally true in the same way that that relationship between the two
0: guys felt a bit more
3: grounded and real
0: did you not see the bit you know where she took her to in the beach and it was all covered in rubbish and that was just to distract her because she had a knife behind her back. she couldn't bear her
3: she was gonna stab <laughs> her in the back the second she was distracted it's, in, it's 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 in the it'll be in the novelization yeah um you know when the they topic don't... book comes out they'll fill some of those <laughs> things in um and the uh the the, the guy who goes out on the beach and gets killed before the birds attack and they all run to the top Do they actually ever acknowledge his death? There's a lot going on, know. you know. <laughs> oh, I, think just really get, do. I think he just gets forgotten. It's like he's, he's scared off and they'll rush into the TARDIS and off they go. So it's like no pause for, you know, reacting to characters being killed off. Um Suki as a villain is bloody wet. Um, there are some fantastic villains in this season. this is Compared to... Some of the previous eras, but including even the Moffat era, this this has got this is a this is a series series twelve has given some great villains with some great over the top brilliant performances. This is not one of them. Um, when when she died, I think I was like, "Thank God for that." <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and 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 while it's not the only story guilty of it, but like I said, I was just looking at it. I was on merits, sort of hand waving. The Doctor cures the virus, and the the TARDIS cures the virus, and then it's sort. of, I sometimes love when Doctor Who and the Doctor's doing something that's not just clever, but not just clever because they've told us that the Doctor's doing something clever. And sometimes it doesn't matter when they don't do that. But I think there are times in this series, most in this, where we have to just, we're told the Doctor's doing something clever or the TARDIS is doing something clever rather than, oh, they're actually seeing it and understanding it. So I now have to pick which side of the fence I'm going to come yes. down on. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bin it.
1: Oh! Oh, so story,
3: all, well, not all, <laughs> all those positive things and there's some great positive stuff in it i think about two-thirds of the way through and this because when i was preparing for this i wrote all the stories out and i kind of predicted what i thought was going to be the definite keeps and the definite one and i genuinely really enjoyed this last time round. It, it was one of the things that i genuinely thought this was good i'm going to enjoy that again and i just felt about 30 35 minutes in my attention was starting to wander and i was starting to get just a little bit bored, and I'm going, okay. I can't read if if I'm starting to get a bit bored. Can I then say say I genuinely want to save it? So the fact that I'm on the fence, and the fact it has lots of good stuff in it, but just not enough. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, I'll go next. I'll give you the casting vote on this one. Um, I think obviously it's staying through. For all the reasons Dylan said, for all the positive reasons David said, I don't think anyone stressed enough just how important the environmental message is in this and just how vivid the imagery is. So that that, uh, shot of the Gaia in the water with all the uh, rubbish swirling around it and that. But I watched this and I thought, what absurd images. They're not going to get an environmental message in my head looking at stupid images like that. Then I Googled it and realised it was all real and realised how out of touch I was and actually went out and I started recycling properly after watching this episode so it had the right effect on me and I'm hoping it did on others as well I love Jodie Whiskers Doctor as a scientist and it's something they lean into all the time and she loves doing the science in this and it's something that we don't see the Doctor doing enough in the new series Um, she does come across as a bit of a sort of know-it-all brain box but I quite like that as well and it's the only Doctor Who episode to ever give me an erection and for that point (laughs) alone I mean it's the hottest gay kiss you're ever Ever going to see in Doctor Who ever and it's in the TARDIS which I love um for going there and making that so positive in the wake of showing it as like Dylan said a flawed relationship because I feel sometimes like gay relationships is even like the you know the annoying neighbors or something like that it's always done in a really sort of sitcomy way they're actually portrayed as a real genuine couple that love each other the story's anchored around them they're both beautiful. And then they get that bit at the end where they snog in the TARDIS. Oh, bravo,
2: Chris Chibnall. Do, do you think that was the point the doctor decided to get a mattress in the TARDIS console? Oh, I think so. There was some
0: <laughs> heavy scissoring going on after that, I'll tell you. Um, well, they didn't look surprised when they landed on that mattress, did they? <laughs> They've been there before. Oh, yeah. and just just an, another note for the direction of this episode. I like, don't think Doctor Who's ever looked better than Series 12. It really and and this is shot like a movie. This is Doctor Who as a movie, and they pull it off brilliantly. So yeah, I'm keeping so,
1: it. So it's one each. So I've got the casting vote on this one. So Praxis is obviously going through. Whoa! Yeah. All oh, I will say, I can't believe you've all missed the elephant in the room. You're all saying how brilliant it looks. No one's mentioned that fucking bird that looks worse <laughs> than the cat in survival. We see it twice with his little head turning round, looking. It, that is a terrible shock.
0: We're all looking at Warren Green, that's
1: why. Well, <laughs> that's true. That aside, I mean, yeah, you've probably between you covered a lot of the positive things I was going to say. Surprisingly, I'm starting off with it's got a gay relationship at its heart. I think it's, it's, it's a story where there's a real heart to it. And that has been missing quite a lot in Chibnall. So I think it's great that we get a real positive. Relationship. It's a gay relationship. As everyone said it already, it's not full of all coming out angst or AIDS drama. It's just a normal, loving relationship, which is really, really positive to see. I didn't think they were going to go that start with because you weren't quite sure on the relationship between the two of them. Mm. I kept thinking, no, they're both too butched and too alpha to be a couple. They're not going to do this because, like you said, Joe,
0: usually that's what made couples... it a hot rod. They were so well, out I, of I'm agreeing.
1: They? I'm agreeing with you, Joe, but I just didn't think they would do that. I thought, oh, they're going to cop out and they're going to be brothers.
0: I can't have been the only person with a cushion in my lap watching that episode.
1: <laughs> um, I love the fact that Graham goes to talk to Jake on the beach and has a conversation with him about their relationship. I think that's, again, we're talking about kind of positive messaging, but done in a subtle way. And that's really subtly done. He's an older man, with a different generation. Yeah, he's sitting down talking to Jake really openly and happily about the relationship and giving him positive, supportive messaging. I think that's great. Um, I do mm. think it's a little bit odd when they come into the target at the end and the two of them are snogging, that the rest of the fam are literally stood two metres in front of them, just staring at them and smiling. So maybe, Joe, you weren't the only one with the erection during that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they were definitely taking that in. Um, but that relationship, I think, just gives the episode its heart and, and makes us care for it. There are some logical gaps in this story because it is very, very busy, possibly a bit overstuffed. I mean, I understand they make a, a line about the, the alien spaceship that came down knocked um, Adam's ship off course. But then why they take him and why they experiment and why they take him to Hong Kong when they've got a lab set up in Madagascar? Don't really get all of that, but hey, it's globe trotting and it looks good. For once, I love the use of the fam in this. I think think I'm a sucker for stories where they're already in place and they're all in place at the beginning of this. They've all got their own story. Yaz particularly has got quite a lot of agency and takes command of one of the investigations. I think he's got one of the funniest jokes in the series where uh, Graham and Yaz are investigating and he's holding the scanner and says, oh, the the signal's coming from that door and she just turns it around in his (laughs) head. Oh no, the (laughs) signal's coming from that door. That was very funny, very subtle. I think that's when the fam are working really well. Um, It is ridiculous that the Doctor only speaks to one character and she turns out to be the baddie, particularly when we're going all the way across the world and the Doctor just happens to stumble across the one baddie. But, you know, it's busy. And as you've all said, Direction's fantastic. It's absolutely stunning. Um, Looks beautiful. So, yeah, I'm keeping it in. That's two for two, isn't it? It's two for two. Wow, there's a shock. Joe, (laughs) you're to pick one.
0: Well, I'm going to do my one that I want to boot out. And that is... I'm doing this as one, am I? Ascension of the Cybermen and the Timeless Children.
1: They are one. You're kicking it out?
0: I'm kicking it out, yeah. Uh, For one reason, really... I really, really love Ascension of the Sidemen. I like so much about it. I think for once we've got like pure desperation as we're running away from the Sidemen. It's such a linear story of people on the run and it's directed brilliantly, it's acted brilliantly. I really believe they're in a a tense situation and I love Jodie getting pissed at the beginning of Ascension of the Sidemen as well. We don't see enough of that. And she does it brilliantly. And it delivers on the side menu pretty much every way. I don't care what you say about those floating heads coming down blah, blah, blah <laughs> everybody. I think that's ca- in an episode that's widely very serious. It's sort of a bit silly and I do like it. But again, it's filmed brilliantly. All those POV shots and the devastation. Is that Magna Stone again, Dylan? It is. It, it is, yeah. Yeah, it looks incredible. So pretty much um like a nine out of ten for Ascension of the Sidemen. Unfortunately. The timeless children. I, now, I like the revelations. I like what it does to Doctor Who. Dylan and I have talked about this extensively on Hamster. I like the direction it takes the show. I don't think it contradicts anything that we've seen before. I think it's bold and it's ambitious, and it sort of shook the ground in the way that even like Day of the Doctor with the War Doctor didn't what i don't like is how it's delivered i do not like that 20 minute powerpoint presentation that the master (laughs) gives the doctor pulling the doctor out of the story for 20 minutes in the finale it's a weird thing that happens a lot in finales in the new series the doctor's sort of taken away and and not given much to do it happened in last of the time lords as well um yeah, and it, the, the special effects during that sequence are amazing, but I just think it's a really unengaging way. Instead of, I don't know, finding some way of taking us back there and showing us, we're told. And it's just the biggest raw TV. Show, don't tell. And it's a lot of telling for a long time. And I really dislike the, oh, I'm going to sacrifice myself bit at the end as well. I th- I just think that's always the laziest way to end a story. So many Doctor Who stories end that way. And when Ko Sharmas space name turned up and went <laughs> oh i'm an old man i've lived all of my life you know it's nearing an end and gets lines like this there's only one way this episode could possibly end and i'm not i wouldn't even write off the timeless children i think the cyber Lords are pretty incredible it's a brilliant idea and they come back in uh, power of the doctor in a superb set piece Uh, I think Sasha Dewan is incredible in that episode, but I think it is ill-structured, it's poorly delivered, and I think some of the reaction against this episode could have been smoothed out had it been delivered in a more engaging way. And so that's the only reason why I am going to remove Ascension of the Sidemen and the Timeless Children.
1: Didn't see that one coming shall no. we go to the comments
0: oh do we have to
1: okay. paul, paul quinn who never minces his word said ignore the bedwitter bedwetters pissing in their tom baker bed set the future <laughs> doctor and the timeless children are a brilliant idea Hooray! The, the doctor discovers the truth of their origin is problematic as it's not active rather than the master makes the discovery and tells the tale
0: uh, Melvin Pena, finally, whether folks like it or not, the Timeless Children did change the law of Doctor Who for the foreseeable future. RTD2 has domesticated it and made it less lore ish, at least here at the start of the Gatwa era, just calling him an orphan, which was a very canny move.
1: Daniel Ronsley says Fugitive for the Jadoon and the Timeless Children are probably Chibber's ballsiest and boldest moves on the show. The storytelling itself is a little bit clumsy, but I like them both. Yes. Even the master's inelegant but superbly acted PowerPoint presentation.
0: James Amfrance. After this landed, I lost all interest in revisiting the season whatsoever. I appreciate the Timeless Children works for a lot of people, particularly younger fans, but I fundamentally dislike making the Doctor more than a Time Lord, godlike being. For me, it adds an unnecessary mystical element to the character that detracts from the Doctor's relatability. Yes, they're alien but I find the Doctor more relatable as a standard Time Lord who wanted more and became a renegade. This is more relevant to a queer reading. But again, I really do respect everybody's opinion on the episode and I appreciate that it hits home with many people.
1: Jason Thompson said Ashad is a superb creation, but at some point in the final episode, there's no further use for him. So the Master just zaps him and he's reduced to a deadly weapon, which was itself only mentioned for the first time seconds before he got zapped.
0: Michael Storm has delivered a dissertation. While I am not 100% keen on the idea of The Timeless Child, the manner of how the story is delivered is truly atrocious. Oh, we, we won. <laughs> uh, having the master imprison the doctor and give her a PowerPoint presentation, PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> Matrix style is just plain bad. At best, it is just lazy exposition info dump with pictures. At worst, it robs the doctor of agency and drama. Why isn't she uncovering this while finding about the Fugitive Doctor? Or why has the Master single-handedly killed every Time Lord and shifted their bodies into cryo storage? The Fugitive Doctor would make a more logical sense between the second and third Doctor's legitimising Season 6B. Instead, we have the Home Bargain's take on the Cartmel Master Plan and Lung Barrow.
1: The Jack is says, Not fond of its concept or execution, but if people enjoy it, more power to them. My least favourite here. Go on, Dylan, I'm just gonna say there is no confirmation of where the Ruth Doctor sits, and Chris Chibnall
2: says he knows, but it, it has never been revealed. It's Doctor Who fans that assume that it, it's a pre Hartnell Doctor, it could still be that season six. B mm.
0: did you see did you do Jack Talk Jack Hoyers? Uh, yes. Oh, no, not the mind probe says the Doctor in Ireland, very dark, very brutal.
1: And finally, Chris Curtis says some great ideas with the Cybermen in the last part, but spoilt with the whole destroy Gallifrey plot. Okay, so fairly mixed bag. So, panel, are we going to be won over and convinced by Joe? Are we chucking it or are we keeping it? Let's come to Dylan. Uh, I'm keeping it um, for three reasons.
2: Uh, Number one, this is something that Doctor Who doesn't do enough or it hasn't done well enough. This is Doctor Who as an action film. It's vast armies of cybermen. It's the fallout from the cyber war. It's huge spaceships done without any terrible fringing. Ross T. Davis. Uh, It's cyber graveyards. It's spaceships over Gallifrey. And just the way Ashad walks into the opening of that battlefield with the sort of the the fire and the smoke. It's just Doctor Who, again, I come back to has never looked or tried to be as big and as epic as as it does here. The second thing is obviously the the timeless child reveal. I I don't quite get the PowerPoint side of things because you were talking earlier, Rod, for instance, about, you know, how uh, they just tell you what's going on in Fugitive? The D- 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 Here <laughs> they are, literally showing you every single thing. Uh, it's just got a bit of a voiceover. I'm I'm reminded of the end of time, where you know Rassilon just pops up to tell you what everybody's doing. It's, you know, it's it, it's it is a similar trick that's been used before, um, and I think. The Timeless Child reveal is needed. It's a response to the biggest issue that the Moffat era has, in that essentially Moffat answers the, the question, Doctor Who? And it also answers the question, why the Doctor left Gallifrey? The Doctor now has a vast mystery. There's nothing to say they're a god. There's that you know. There's nothing to say they're a god at all. They're an orphan child of another race who can regenerate. The Time Lords, went, or Tectayune, went, we'll have a bit of that. That, you know, the Doctor was, was basically tortured as a child for a, a long, long time by the sounds of it. And it's a mystery that we can, I'm sure the show will pick up on again at certain points and drop at other points, but it just keeps the show fresh. And within the pantheon of modern television and modern sci-fi shows and fantasy, show, fantasy shows, you need a law. I don't think it's good enough to just jump from story to story to week with, with nothing to build that universe up and build your main character up. It's Doctor Who needs to be a question and has ha, having a law running in the back of it. And I think Dylan. that's what it does.
0: I think yeah. you need a law now. I think that's what the audience needs now in order yeah. to engage and stick with a show. I don't know if it was a problem during the classic series, but it, no, that's, no, that's what I it's mean. It's like the, the language yeah. of fandom now is law, yeah. isn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly. And across all the shows that, that that you get, it it didn't need it in the classic series. It was enough for them to turn around three years into the show and go, "We need to change our lead actor. We should probably add something to the law, which is regeneration." Oh, we need to do it again. How about we introduce the Time Lords? It's a seismic shift as, as such as those but except it has more repercussions in some respect because it's more likely to be delved into than just being a plot point as it was. And my final thing that I want to talk about is Chris Chibnall's massive balls, because... (laughs) Literally or metaphorically? I don't know what they look like personally, but, uh, I'll send you I'm, some pictures. I'm sure he's got big, big kahunas. I mean, the, <laughs> the balls to make the Morbius Doctors officially canon on television, uh, to use the words sheboggans on 21st <laughs> century television, uh, to have the punch-the-air moment where the Doctor Who music plays in a montage of clips of Doctor Who and she basically kicks the Matrix's ass with it. <laughs> I think... And I think, again, Doctor Whoa. Who fans get worried about the casual viewer, but actually it's all there and it's all explained, and five five million people sat there going, I understand what this is, and a thousand Doctor Who fans went,
1: no, no, what will the casual viewer think? I think you'll find it was 4.69, Dylan, but hey, who's <laughs> cutting hands? I was more than more
0: than well enough in time though, wasn't it? Uh, uh, <laughs> same AI as Ruby Road though. Strange. Oh. Hey, you're so convincing. Can I change my mind? David. <laughs> <laughs> um this uh, I'm consigning
3: to the bin and for very similar reasons to Joe. Um I thought part one was fantastic. I, I thought it was a really good Mm-hmm. strong start it was the the doom-laden atmosphere i think i was comparing it to world enough in time and dark war you know there's a run of um penultimate episodes of uh, finale episodes which are bloody bleak and i think this is one of them it's not an episode i think i'd put on for fun because it's just the atmosphere is so well done at times that it's like this is not fun to watch because it's just quite grim the pre-titles for one of the few episodes this series that actually has a pre-title sequence is really good. The kind of that, the, the wreckage, and then you slowly go into the Cyberman's eye and then we get, to, that is visually just one of the most arty pieces in this season and probably in the modern series. Yeah. And some fantastic production values. However, <laughs> I've written the PowerPoint presentation. That is literally my words. It's <laughs> a PowerPoint presentation. Um, it's not as long as I remember. I remembered it being interminable. It was. It was probably only in chunks of about five minutes, um, broken up. I thought it was just one huge extended sequence from memory. It wasn't. It, it wasn't as interminable. But the whole thing. The, it's just the master explaining. And yes, we've got the visuals. But basically, we've got Tecteun as a an actor with no hardly any dialogue, just kind of staring off into the middle distance half the time. Uh, While well, well the master... Te- it, at times it's visually impressive, but at times it's visually boring because it's not redoing really anything. Then the island stuff, which... The island stuff in, in Essential and Cybermen is really stylish. But at no point, correct me if I'm misremembering, in that first episode, do they actually stress that the
0: Doctor is seeing... These memories. That's the point of it though. I think that's the point of it. The but point then is, they have a is... line
3: going because then they have that line where she goes, those memories of Ireland, which on the subtitles that I've got on iTunes kept saying Ireland as is in I S-L-A-N-D instead of Ireland the country, which I just thought just took out taking me out of the moment. But it's like, oh, so she was sick. So the it just felt really disconnected. And the only time where there was a sense that she was experiencing those memories was at the end when they saw the clock with a division on it. So it felt while they looked great and I had, I got what they were doing, it just felt a bit disconnected. The other bit that I thought this needed, this is this is a story about the Doctor's identity and finally come to terms at the end with the, the kind of, you know who you are, you are the Doctor. And what this story needed was an I am the Doctor moment and not... I'm sorry to say an explosion of stock footage to break out of the matrix. <laughs> it needed something in the writing, dare I say, almost a bit of a Moffat thing of it needed something where the doctor proved and won the day and demonstrated her identity as the doctor there. Are, and yeah, there are many sort of fan wanky ways you, you know, that could have been done, but you know, at the heart of it, the cyber Lords, they've got regeneration energy, that's where that's come from, the Doctor originally, and they could have done something with that. They could have deferred to her as kind of the ultimate cyber leader or something or something. I've come up with so many different kind of ideas because that's what fans do. But instead, she just sort of breaks out and then Koshamas turns up and you've got a bomb. And it's like, this needed something. If you're going to do the Timeless Child, if you're going to have this, you're going to have these revelations, you need something to draw it all back together. And actually, at the end if the Doctor's having this sort of identity crisis, then it needs something more. And I felt that was lacking. And finally, um, the, the 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 fam being a bit... They've got scenes. It's not like they're not present. They have that scene. They get to Gallifrey and it's like, yes, we're going to go and rescue the Doctor. And they don't need to because she's already broken out. And it's like, okay. so you've set this up. And I and was like going, oh, I don't. maybe they do break her out. I can't quite remember. That would have been really good because it brings the idea that the, the idea of found family and bring them together and they're the ones that help her save the day but they don't really ring very much to the, the sort of second half of the episode and yes they're doing stuff and yes they have some nice character moments but they could have done so much more with them and actually again weave the fam into the resolution of the story so it, the second half of it and i can say ascension great but timeless child i have no issue with the timeless child of the revelation i want to make that clear i just think it could have been done so much better so that is why i'm going to bin it
0: You know, it's it's such such a shame that I didn't let someone else take The Timeless Children. Because listening to every point you were making there, I had a counterpoint to make as to why those things were great. Mm -hmm. And now I wish I'd gone the other way with The Timeless (laughs) Children. And I didn't. And I'm stuck in the position I'm in. But never mind.
1: You rejected it, Joe. And it's now one each apiece. So yet again, for the second time this evening, I've got the casting vote. And it's The Timeless Children. And it's Chibnall. And I'm going to keep her. Oh <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Joe chokes.
2: <laughs> this is a bigger twist than Fugitive of the Jadoon when, oh, this when Joe Martin twist. shows
0: up. The <laughs> very idea that on this episode I rejected it and you're and keeping it, in. it. I
1: know what the hell is going on. I actually really like it and it's grown on me over I haven't watched it that many times, but it's definitely grown on me every time I have watched it. You've covered a lot of the reasons I like it. Um ascension you're absolutely right is really gritty it feels real there's a lot of kind of reality missing from the tribunal area and this the beginning of this feels absolutely real i love the fact that the fam have turned up no not the heads joe but the, the rest of the rest of that scene to start with feels really gritty i mean the Doctor and co turn up within two minutes two of the seven humans they've turned up to save are dead on the floor um that feels real it's got sense. they're
0: never gonna get a book a good backstory i don't know yeah never mind
1: chibnall can't do characters anyway so it's fine (laughs) um i love the fact that they bring weapons that kind of plunder from doctor who history so one of the one of the weapons is an emotion inhibitor it's run back to the kind of cyber cyber one sprays out gold that's that's nice there for the fans but it's it's a nice little Nice little trick. You're right, Joe, the doctor's really angry here. She's determined to save her friends and it feels much more real for her. This is what I want from this doctor when she's strong and powerful, not throwing out lines about spam and crayons. <laughs> this feels this feels real and tangible. I think she's great here. She then has a confrontation with Ashad where he's a hologram. How many times does Jodie's Doctor face holograms, by the way? She faces hologram Daleks, <laughs> hologram Sidemen, hologram Masters. There's a definite yeah. theme there. I'm not quite sure why. She, but she acts
0: a... them all brilliantly, though, doesn't she? She has a great
1: confrontation yeah. with Ashad there. Um, and I think Ashad is a real palpable menace throughout the first episode and a half. Yes, he gets destroyed very quickly. But in a way, my reading from that is the Master is even a bigger threat than Ashad. Um, yes, he dispatches him immediately, because he's a bit of a loom. Um, I, I like that, and the, the yeah. Master kind of was on a way hoping that Ashad would kill him, which is quite interesting. The Master's got a little bit of a death wish going on, but it does feel very bleak. Um, they escape the, the planet in a spaceship, they go into a space field full of dead Cybermen hitting the spaceship. That's really quite bleak, that's quite unusual for this period of Doctor, and it creates a real sense of tension. Um, And that cuts with the science scenes that we see in Ireland, which otherwise could be very much a kind of Sunday evening, uh, gentle, call the midwife type drama. But I think (laughs) think the tension that you've got uh, on the rest of it intercuts with Ireland and makes you realise there's something more going on here for those two to to sit side to side. I think that works very well. Second reason why I like it is I actually like the Revelations. I think it's interesting, it's big, it's bold. It's kind of what I wanted from Chibnall, not that specifically, but I wanted him to do something that he grabbed it by its balls and said, this is my take on Doctor Who, and I think he's giving it here. It doesn't all work, but you know, kudos to him for doing something different and something we weren't expecting. You can read that it fits with the whole of Doctor Who continuity. You know, it doesn't invalidate anything that's already there, particularly, I think, in the Carpenter Master Plan, where they were saying the doctor was the other. Well, if the doctor's from another race, they certainly were the other. Mm -hmm. So I like that. It, you know, it talks about why 13 regenerations were set for the Time Lords. So it feeds into all that law. So fans are being kept happy whilst giving them something new, which I think is quite good. Um, and we talked about, you know, he's set it up for another showrunner to do what they want with him. We've already seen Russell starting to run with it. So I say good for Chibnall for doing that. Um, and lastly, my point on this is I think the doctor-master relationship here is really interesting. Sasha Dwan is an excellent master. Personally, I'm not convinced that we need the master back again so quickly, but we've got him. And I'm glad it's Sasha Dwan because I think he gives our Fantastic performance. I love their relationship. I love the fact that he's so embittered that the Doctor is special and different, that he's prepared to blow up Gallifrey um, just because the Time Lords hid the truth. He's so angry about that. And as I said, he's got a bit of a death wish. He hopes the Doctor does press the button at the end and destroy them all with the death particle. Um, So yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. It's new, it's different, it's bold, it's gritty. I'm giving it a pass and it's going through.
0: Unbelievable! By
1: you throwing it out joke forward.
0: I know. Do you know? We've talked about Tribunal's balls so much, right? Depending on where people fall, whether they love him as a writer or hate him, they're going to be envisaging, aren't they? Tiniest or massivest balls you've ever seen in your life.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> you go to run a poem on me? Yeah? Well, I mean, think any true. Doctor Who writer suffered this sort of indignity, but, you know. Well, he's so
2: divisive. Surely he's got one massive ball and one tiny ball. <laughs> 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 Just it's to be true. Different.
1: It is true. <laughs> Right, it's my turn. So, I've been far too positive for the yeah. last <laughs> Everything's <laughs> gone through. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I threw out a Fugitive, but so far, the otherwise, I've been positive. So, I need to bring a bit of contraryness to <clears throat> the uh, proceedings. So, I am going to go with Spyfall and I'm chucking Spyfall out. So, I think part one is fantastic. So, similar to Joey with the Timeless Children Ascension, I think part one of Spyfall is. Great, it's consistent, it's Doctor Who's take on James Bond We've got every trapping of James Bond possible We've got roulette wheels, we've got car chases We've got gorgeous overseas locations We've got breaking into locations Uh, We've got everything you could possibly want We've even got the tuxedo, we've got sea We've got spies being murdered Um, You've got really strong villain in Barton and the Casavans Yeah, I think it's a great, great part one but it falls down in part two with the structure. I think the structure goes horribly, horribly wrong. So I feel that uh, Tribunal's trying to do a bit of a moffet here by going somewhere different in part two. So we get a trip to the 19th century and a trip to the 20th century. And to me, they are just pure padding to the main story. So why is Ada Lovelace in there from the 19th century? Well, we're told she's there because the Kasavan want to track people who have developed computers. That makes No sense with what we get at the end of the story. They're in league with the tech giants in the 21st century. Why do they need to know who invented a computer in the 19th century? There's absolutely no relevance to that whatsoever. Then in the 20th century, we get the inclusion of World War II. That's even more spurious because they just stop off along the way. And it's just serendipity. They just happen to bump into someone who's a spy because that's the theme of the episode. Makes no sense at all. Just pure padding. I also think the addition of the master here is a bit pointless. Do we need three villains? We've got the Cassavan, we've got Barton, and now we've got the master as well. And when we sideline Barton and the uh, Kasarvan for most of our second episode, why have we got three villains? There's just too much going on. And at the end, two of them just run away. They're scared of the doctor, they literally just run. The Barton just runs off stage, get my car, the Kasavan run away because they find out the master was planning to double-cross them, even though we've been told very clearly they have their own plan for intergalactic domination. We never find out what that is. They just disappear. All a bit convenient. Then also at the very end, in the last 10 minutes, we get Mm. this whole discourse about data privacy from Barton. That's very left field. And again, is that what Chibnall's trying to tell us? It's just one plot strand too many. So there's so much wasted opportunity in that structure. If we ditch the whole 19th and 20th century, carried on with the spy setting, we've got Yaz's family, for crying out loud. We see them in throwaway scenes, which is just terrible. Shabna Gulata, her mum, is a brilliant actress. I want to see more of her. And she's just ditched in an absolute pointless scene. Stephen Fry and Lenny Henry, wasted. Well, literally, in Stephen Fry's case, with a bullet. Um, So we just get... The plot just goes to hell in the second episode. It feels different, makes no sense. So structure is my first point. My second point is there's a lot of bad taste going on in this episode. So the doctor's mind wipe, for example, of Ada and uh, Noah at the end, I think is quite bad taste. She's never done it before, apart from maybe the doctor wiping Donna's mind, but that was because Donna was dying. It was the only way he could save his friend. Whereas here, the doctor just willingly Wipes everybody's mind. That's never happened in Doctor 2 before. Feels very odd and quite forced and quite invasive. Don't like that. I really don't like the master in a Nazi uniform. Um, that just feels wrong to have quite a cartoony <laughs> master, Joe, master. No, Joe, no. No. It's no. Saturday the one in a Nazi no, uniform is no, the other time no, I yeah, had a no, no, in no, my lap. No. You know, oh, i finish that no. sentence.
0: I already said it in the episode we did, Dylan. Don't worry. <laughs> In the God, uniform, I'll
1: give you in a Nazi uniform. No,
0: it's still a uniform.
1: We kept <laughs> Barton killing his own mother just to show that he's a baddie, a little bit in bad taste, right? But this is this is the big bit that really pisses me off about this episode, and I'm genuinely affronted by this. by this. So, we include uh, Nor in the at calm within this episode, who's the spy in World War II. Now she's a real life person. I've read quite a lot about World War II and the uh, SOE special operations executive who ran spying. So Nora was an incredibly brave woman who aided the French resistance. She was betrayed, uh, she was captured, and she was sent to Dachau concentration camp where she was executed before the end of the war. She was incredible and incredibly brave and had an incredibly tragic ending. So to include her, and not respect her in the way that for example we respected rosa last season we treated her with dignity and respect and looked to her story quite rightfully so we should do if we're going to include nor in a story then we ought to afford her the same dignity and respect and just to throw her away and just treat her as a character because she's a spy I think is is quite insulting to her can
0: I interject just for a second you may because I know for a fact that her death was supposed to be included in this episode it was supposed to be a pivotal moment in this episode and essentially his script editors producers whatever said you cannot do this you cannot put this in it's utterly tasteless so i think you were going to get what you wanted and he he, basically his hands were tied
1: but we don't even tell her story i mean she's just a generic spy in the setting we see we don't really i I don't understand the whole point of that subpoint. i'm picking a real person who as i said has a fascinating rave and tragic story and treating it so lightly and throw away, I think is reprehensible. And I'm genuinely affronted on that story for that inclusion. So that really brings this episode down for me. And then third reason, if there wasn't enough, we pull the sofa of reasonable comfortness from Curse the Fatal (laughs) Death. We don't do it once, we do it twice. So we get the aeroplane escape because at the end of the episode, the doctor goes back and plants all the seeds so the companion can see it. It's as bad as Rowan Atkinson falling into the sewers. Um, But then the Doctor does it again. At the end of the episode, we find out, oh, the Doctor runs in. She saved the day because she's reprogrammed the Silver Lady. That invalidates every single Doctor Who story, because at the very end, the Doctor could say, oh, I nipped back in time and I changed it all. It's just... Because
0: Jodie's smarter than all the
1: rest. None of them (laughs) thought (laughs) about (laughs) it. Cheap, cheap, cheap and easy. Um, And then on a lighter note, because I've got annoyed by this episode. um, So on a much lighter note. Really? I couldn't tell. (laughs) (laughs) The other reason why I don't like this is because it ruins one of cinema's greatest jokes. So Sasha Dewan says that he's called O because C calls him that because when he sees him, he says, oh, God. Right. That ruins the best joke in Carry On Spying, (laughs) where Charles Hawtrey says he's (laughs) been called. His code name is O-O-O. And Kenneth Williams says, why do they call you that? Charles Autry says, Because when they see me, they go, uh-oh. Oh.
4: Ruined.
0: <laughs> Ruined you, by Sasha Duane. You think that's a better joke? <laughs> it's a far better joke. <laughs> um, I've got uh, a feeling you're not keen on this episode.
1: Sorry, did I was that did I not make that clear hmm. enough? It's out. Not yet, it's not. Not yet, it's not. (laughs) we need to do the comments first. Oh, yeah, of (laughs) course. Before you get on your high horse. Uh, Do you want to go first, Joe?
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, Jacoya prefer part one, but part two still has stuff to excite. Yep. A rip roaring start to the season. Yes, it is. Great work from Sasha Duard, who had me fooled personally, and good for Jody as well. Please that all the regulars get something to do. The one aspect this series improves for me.
1: Haylin, the big talking bird, said Spyfall is easily my second favourite season
0: opener of all New Who, beaten only by the pilot. Oh, there you go. Paul Quinn, the second part is mostly incomprehensible over plotted shite, which is a real (laughs) shame as Dewan is brilliant. (laughs) And that's the end of this episode.
1: (laughs) 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 Craig Williams says the master's reveal is probably my favourite moment in the season, although it's undermined by the, but you're a really good runner. I read it in your file line that comes out of nowhere. It should have been a fact that we were privy to for us to realise at the same time as the Doctor.
0: Gareth Bowley, Best is Spyfall, The Master Reveal, Soft Shoes Shuffle Gag, plus great score. God, the music is out of this world in this episode.
1: Chris Hogman says, I hate Graham's shooty shoes, but that's a (laughs) personal
0: thing. No one could agree on anything. Uh, Dave Rennie, Spyfall is my favourite, although part two is very hard to follow.
1: Right, so have I convinced you or are you going to be fools and put this one through? Joe, you've, you've spoiled it already, so you go first.
0: Well, I love it. I absolutely love it. This might be my favourite start of a season, and that's as a whole. I just think it's gorgeous. Um, I think the reason why um, Nor Khan's in there is for that amazing sequence where you have Jodie, Noor Khan and Ada Lovelace standing in front of the window as the place burns outside, and you have these three powerful, incredible women... Front and centre in Doctor Who, coming together to solve the problem.
1: Who of whom have got nothing to
0: do with the Doesn't plot. matter. They're amazing women. It's it's a statement to make, and it's That's worth making. Mother Teresa whilst you're at her. Celebrating. <laughs> oh, even better. If she was there too, even better. Lady Diana, let's get them all in there. Come on. <laughs> you know what? Celebrating women in history is something this era does spectacularly well. It's oh. something that the Moffitt era would never afford to do in so a do million bloody like years. Right, That's all I'm saying. I'm, sh- I'm shutting up. Well, I think it's done perfectly, respectfully. Uh, Sasha Dewan, I loved him in The Timeless Children, and I didn't really get to say that because I was building a defence against it, but his performance as oh. O. So likeable. I loved him instantly. I loved his interaction with everybody. I was completely fooled. No clue. When the reveal came at the end of the episode, I jumped out of my seat in a way I haven't done since the Macra were revealed in Gridlock. That's how excited I was. Even the Utopia reveal didn't get me as excited as this. It's the best master reveal ever. I think... um. His performance in that scene, the way he goes from being very amiable to utterly fucking psychotic, it's a masterclass in acting and how to turn it on a dime. And it's in a situation of extreme peril as well. So it's one of the best master reveals. It's one of the best cliffhangers of all time. The tr- the play plummeting down as we go. Oh, it's amazing. It's so dynamic, so brilliantly done. Um. I like part two, I like the jumping about, I don't need every single T cross and every I dotted, I just want to have a good time, and I'm having a good time, this is put together with such confidence, with such energy, with good humour, I love that soft, soft shoe shuffle joke, which I can't say clearly. Um, The companions are drifting off to the side a little bit. I'll accept that. But that's just because there's so much other good stuff going on. Why are there three lots of villains in this? Because all three lots of villains are fucking brilliant. That's why. Why is the master given the prominence at the end and the others are ditched to the side? For exactly the same reason as you said in The of the Simon and the Timeless Children. Someone more powerful's come along and taken centre stage and sort of brushed them aside. I'm here now and here's the arc for the season and I've bloody destroyed Gallifrey. Ha, ha, ha. Go and solve that one. <laughs> it's amazingly good. What a mission statement for the start of the season. This globe-trotting, exciting, confident, funny... Full of great set pieces, brilliant acting. I mean, as a New Year's Day special, there was no movie they could put on that day that was better than this. I was utterly thrilled from beginning to end. I know I wax lyrical a lot, but we did a commentary on this. You know how much I love this. I, I just thought it was the perfect foot to get this. After the sort of calmer, more reflective Series 11, to jump into 12 with so much energy and excitement... I just thought it was a wonderful thing to experience. I love it. It's going through.
2: Uh unsurprisingly, I love it. I do think it's got some problems um, in that second episode, but I think it's such an awesome ride that you that that it, it doesn't matter that it doesn't all quite fit together for me. My 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 sort of three points are very obvious ones. Uh the first one being the timeless child. I love how a throwaway point um from the first season. Is suddenly made a major plot point for this season, showing that Chibnall did know what he was doing. And I'm reliably informed from one of the writers in the Doctor Who writers' room for the series eleven that that was one of the first ideas that was come up with the Timeless Child. So it, it had been. It wasn't just a oh, we'll do something with that. And also w- within that, the Master's destruction of Gallifrey, and everybody goes, "What did destroyed destroy, Gallifrey?" we don't need Gallifrey at full functioning in Doctor Who this is a much more interesting way to destroy Gallifrey because Gallifrey's there we go to it in this episode we go to it in the finale Gallifrey's not destroyed the Master went insane and ran riot through the capital and I hope to see Time Lord refugees showing up at some point are there other cities on Gallifrey or is it just that one who knows but the idea that someone's decimated this society is a really exciting one and one that I hope is delved into in the future the <laughs> <clears throat> I'm only going to echo what Joe said on the Master reveal it's brilliantly played brilliantly handled the way Sasha's eyes change when he goes from, when he's rumbled and he goes from O to the Master the tissue compression gets a, a, a mention for the first time in decades uh, the Wicked Witch of the West lines brilliant so I don't, still don't know why people are confused about where this Master is in the chronology because it's very it, the Wicked Witch of the West is very much what Missy was and I just like the way he, he shouts at the end of that episode he's terrifying and even though we know it's the first episode of the series, so not everybody's going to die, I still go, how are they going to get out of this cliffhanger? Um, really, cheaply, and really <laughs> badly. Which is how you get out of most cliffhangers in Doctor Who.
0: But, you know, what? I'd rather have, you know, a bit of the end where Jodie goes, oh, right, I'm going to laminate these things and put them up, and we actually see her doing it. Yeah. And the cheats you got in The Moffat's Time, where he just beamed in with a broom and a bucket on his head, and you're like, well, how the hell did we get here? Like, I'd rather explain to us how it happened.
2: Absolutely. And my final point is just the relationship between the Master and the Doctor, especially that talk on the tower in uh, part oh, two. How did I forget that, Dylan? The, the one of the lazy criticisms that's aimed at the Jodie Whittaker Doctor, is that she doesn't get a big Doctor moments. It's because Chris Chibnall and Jodie Whittaker aren't doing big Doctor moments, but she gets plenty of Doctor moments that are big for her character. And as you mentioned before about her having great people to play off, those two playing against each other are absolute fire. And people get a little bit funny about that. her removing the perception filter on the Master and leaving him with Nazis. But we are talking about the Master here. It's like, I, I, I appreciate that leaving somebody with you know brown colored skin with nazis may not be the done thing but it's still the master who's an evil motherfucker it's it, and and also like we know that the master and the doctor don't operate on a human level the nazis are nothing to them just like you like it's a game that they play and have been playing for years and years and years so i don't, I don't really see it as problematic and i think it's a wonderful scene between two brilliant actors
1: so it's going through, because uh, it's got two pluses. David, unfortunately, your vote is superfluous, but we want to hear
3: it anyway. <laughs> I've not well, heard David's didn't... voice for
0: too long, David. Make this well, long. Well,
3: well, I love being superfluous. You know, that, that sums, <laughs> sums me up. Don't you dare be
0: superfluous.
3: The thing is, Rod, your reasons echoed mine almost word for word, particularly the the the, the No Khan stuff. I, I, I don't know. So in a previous job, I used to work in an archive. We did a lot of stuff on Nikon, no so I was quite aware of Nikon's no story going in. So I was kind of going and going, okay, what what are they going to do with this? Because it is a it's a tough story to tell, and they yeah, it's not told. The, the whole thing of whether or not they, I I did try to find some concrete more proof of what they'd actually filmed as an ending, because I know the, the, the actor had said, I've shot my death scene, I filmed my death scene. Um, but I couldn't find any more detail. I don't know if there's, there is actually anything else out there that actually confirms they shot scenes at Dachau or not. And the fact that it was even considered for a fun, frivolous new year's day fun right. week, uh, happy go lucky adventure for Dr. Who that, that that's, we talk about Chibnall's balls. That is that, that would have been a misstep. And I think by taking that out, you, you, Leave a character that needed more, probably would deserve a story in her own right. But then you get to this difficult thing of when you've got a character whose eventual end is at a concentration camp where they are executed and there are various different accounts of what happened to Noh at Dachau, you know, she ends up dead either way, but there are varying degrees which how get worse depending on which one you read. In a, in a family-friendly action-adventure, is this the sort of story we tell? Because then you start to get to the whole thing of in the Doctor universe, obviously, Second World War happened, the Holocaust happened, and then you get the question of, well, why doesn't the Doctor do something about it? Because obviously they exist. And it, it the classic series, completely sidestepped by that, by not doing anything with Nazis pretty much for 26 years. As soon as you start dealing with these things, you get the question of, well, why... Can't you do something? Oh, because they're a fixed point in time or whatever. It, and I think then the doctor does a speech about fascists and the fascists never win. To no then wipes her memory, and then says to her, "Good luck." And it's like, is is that the right? Is that right? even a even a tenant style? I'm so sorry, or just an acknowledgement of this character's eventual fate, even in the even briefly in the dialogue, would have been something. But I just felt that that Bon Chance. Mm. I don't know that really annoyed me there because it was like you're not doing the real life character justice so it really that was my thing the bill and ted moment i know it was toby haydock said about the bill and ted moments as well the stuff with the plane we don't see the silver lady in the sabotage but we do see her with a laminator so it's like you're going to show us that but not actually the resolution to the plot
0: it's not enough time
3: not enough time but we have got time for a laminator um <laughs> So yeah, that and there's a couple of bits where I just thought, is something been cut? Because then at the start of the story, the doctor's talking about, oh, as if she knows who they are, and if we're supposed to know who they are. Because it's like, oh, your your man horizon scan. And he's like, have I missed something? I rewound it a couple of times going, have I missed a bit of dialogue here? Because it's it feels like we're expected to so I yeah. felt like there was it's a bit like Asmael
0: in when- Twindal dilemma or, you know, Magellan in Time Lash or um, I could think of, or Tonka Travers in Terror of the Vervois. You're not go, comparing or, it to great stories <laughs> that that there. I uh, most <laughs> certainly am. How dare you? But,
3: but in those instances, I never got the sense that something was missing, but there it definitely felt that like there was a piece of dialogue or part of a scene that probably got lost in the edit and it made it just a bit disjointed. What I will say about the, the, the dropping of the perception filter and the reveal of the master, because I know there's a lot of discourse about that. And and I, I agree with Dylan's point. I don't think that is, is as bad as people make out, because I don't think the intent behind it was what people think it is. You know, the painting of this doctor is racist. This doctor is is using, is weaponizing. I I mean, this is such a, diverse period of the show. This is a show that's embracing diversity and cultural diversity and so on. I don't believe the intent of Chibble here was to do anything like that. I think it can be viewed like that. But then, you know, we look at things like Towns of Wang Chiang* and we look at intent. Was there racist intent back then? Possibly not in terms of the casting. That was just the done thing. I don't think there was intent to do anything controversial there. I think it may well be the scene was written before Sasha was cast. And then it was like, they might not have changed, so I don't think that's as controversial. There's a lot it, of good stuff in it.
2: It was written before it was cast. It was confirmed,
3: and I th- and, and that was that was something that I I felt like, it, if that had been um, a Caucasian master, we wouldn't be having that conversation at all. Because it's still spies in in Nazi Germany and occupied France would not have had a happy end. That's what happened to No Khan. Hmm. You know, the, the fate, regardless of skin color, was going to be quite damning. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff in this I did like. I did like part one. I liked the Bond pastiches, although I do wonder if Chibnall had watched basically Octopussy and, Spy- and Skyfall and that's about it because you've got the tone of, of Skyfall <laughs> but then all of a sudden you've got the, the the gadgets of the Roger Moore era. So it's like I, you haven't watched Bond for a while, I don't Two think. Two of
0: the best though, come on.
3: <laughs> um, but I think the tone of it was great. The scene between Sasha and Mandeep in the casino, i thought that was great i thought that was one of her best because i i wasn't struck with Yaz in series 11 and i was going if they'd given her more stuff like that because those two together that short scene was great whether it was challenging what you know about the Doctor, and of course knowing now obviously the truth we now know what that scene's about but it's like she was she is definitely the strongest of the fam and she's definitely starting to shine through this but yeah i think just some of the historical stuff uh with no Khan, i just I can't go on board with Well, we're outvoted, unfortunately. Wish I hadn't picked him, out. I...
0: <laughs> also, yeah, one last point in its favour. This is the hottest cast in Doctor <laughs> Who of all time. Jodie Whisker looks so hot in a tux. And Sasha DeWan's in there. And Toes and Cole's in there. I mean, I could go on. They're just beautiful.
1: Graham in his shoes. Oh, Bradley Walsh. <laughs> you know, for
0: an older man, he's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Second bucket of
1: cold water for Mr. <laughs> um, Right. Well, all four so far are going through. Oh, yes. <laughs> right.
0: um, do you know what? Only one of those has been me and Dylan putting it through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: well, we like a <laughs> mix of opinions on this podcast. Mm. Um, right. We're round again for the second batch of four, which we'll probably have to speed up a bit, seeing how long we've talked on the first round. Um <laughs> Dylan, would you like to pick your second choice for good or bad? I'm going to pick one for bad here. Uh, and uh, I,
2: it, it was a tough one. And I'll be honest with you, I only really have one point. Um, but I feel like I couldn't put everything through. So I'm going to pick Nikola Tesla's Night of Terrors. Uh, now, Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror is fine. It's a fine Doctor Who story. It's a very RTD celebrity runaround, you know, celebrity historical runaround. But I have the same problem with it as I have um, with Victory of the Daleks, in that when you pick someone from history, uh, you know, there's often going to be things about those those characters or those people that do not stand up by today's standards. And then you go and have a fun romp with them. Uh, And Nikola Tesla was into eugenics. And I don't think you can have a fun Doctor Who run, 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 run with, with someone who's like, oh, if you got a birth defect? We should probably kill you. Uh, it's, it, it just uh, it doesn't it doesn't work for me. And I know and, and I feel the same about every, when Churchill shows up as well. So I, it's fine. The rest of the episode, if I'm perfectly honest, is a bit lackluster for me. Looks great some great moments. If I've got some, you know, other points, the monster doesn't show up soon enough. The makeup is a bit dodgy, but it's just like, what were you thinking picking that? And maybe if you want to go, maybe it's something the show could explore if they'd done it properly, but instead they chose to do a fun romp with somebody who <laughs> isn't eugenics. So there we go. That is my point. It is
0: astonishing, isn't it? That An era that does Van Gogh so well can do Churchill so badly. yeah. (laughs) And an era that does Rosa Parks so well can do Nikola Tesla
2: so badly. And it's not like it's secret. It's on the Wikipedia article.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Nikola Tesla is proposed as throwing out. Should we go to the comments? Joe, I'm going to let you go first, and there's a reason for this. So
0: you go first. Dave Runney says, a wonderful performance by... Is it because you can't pronounce his name? That's the one. Grand <laughs> Vizinjic. <laughs> how do you say it? That's better than I ha- would have done. Fellas, how do you say it? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Yeah. A wonderful performance by Gran, <laughs> and another example of Chibnall's strength of the historicals.
1: Jason Thompson says a well-made episode with a corker of a plot and decent aliens soured massively by the sanitization of Tesla as a misunderstood genius just trying to make the world a better place for the benefit of all and the complete failure to even acknowledge that he was a deeply unpleasant person with some disturbing ideas about eugenics and his views on women would not have disposed him to respond well to the doctor.
0: Hang on, I'm just gonna do a, a master style anagram of Jason Thompson's name. Oh, Dylan Reese. There it is. <laughs> Jack Coya says, still no bad Jody Historical yet. Good to see. Two fantastic guest stars in Goran, um, Goran, and Angeli Mahindra, grown up Rani, both elevate their material. Some of the most fun this era has. You can't go wrong with some good electrocution deaths. I couldn't get that out. Sorry.
1: Or eugenics. Um, yeah. no, not the mind probe said that's a proper belter. Love that
0: one. Who gives a flux? Tesla's episode is not my favorite. Actually, I think it's the dud of the season.
1: And Graham Ward says, Don't really have a story I don't like in this season, but I learned Niz... Nick... but I learned Tesla was into eugenics recently, so that one can go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a lot of people have got
0: issues with eugenics, don't they? <laughs> I
1: wonder why that is. I wonder why that is. Who knew? <laughs>
3: uh david your response this is this is i i think i actually am going to be surprising people because i was i had originally thought i'd keep this but the tesla stuff is hard to ignore mm. and the truth of tesla is hard to ignore and if i'm sitting here talking about historical um accuracy in terms of honoring people's characters then you know i've got to stick true to my word i can't be a contradictory doctor who fan or can i the <laughs> rest uh, of us are <laughs> i will say that at the when it went out i enjoyed it at the time because it was the it was the episode that sort of pulled me back in after spy fall part two and all from 55 which nearly caused me to sort of tap out watching doctor who i you know i enjoyed it as a 45 minute romp i didn't really know much about tesla at the time and the episode didn't really tell me very much so obviously you learn this stuff afterwards and it does kind of sour some of the positive points um i like the queen of the Uh, I thought at first, I cu- was I the only person who thought it was Arachnos? No.
4: Yeah, no, you know, I did too.
3: I thought it was back. very similar. It was similar in look, similar in performance, and so even down to the the dialogue, uh, sentence construction, and so on. So when it was revealed, it wasn't, it was a bit, oh, I thought, but I thought Angela Mahindra chewing the scenery at times, but entertainingly so. I mean, she's definitely one of the high points, um, you know, to bring back a slightly camp monster. Um, was great and it was just really enjoyable. But it was a nice traditional, straightforward Doctor Who story, and that's what kind of brought me back in. Going, okay, you can still tell stories that I can just watch and don't maybe want to gnaw my own arm off, which I had with Orphan 55. Um, but it is kind of difficult to um reconcile, you know, this lovable, I mean not lovable, but this likable character with Tesla with who they are. The other bit, and this is another episode I felt there was a an 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 odd edit as well because all of a sudden they're in the fact they're in the warehouse at the start and all of a sudden they're on a train and then they have this whole this whole <clears> load of dialogue and then they end the scene with the doctor saying so what about this lab then but the lab has not been mentioned anywhere else in the scene so it's like we, again sometimes yes we have previous stories where things are kind of dropped in that things for the past we we're talking about you know um people they've met before and so on but if as a viewer i'm looking going have i missed a line of dialogue something been cut then something's not quite working and i think that felt quite obvious but so where am i going to fall on this side of the fence i'm gonna i'm gonna bin it i'm trying to be positive and this would would have been a save but i think the points about tesla can't really ignore that and it's like is this a character that we should be doing a story about unless we make their eugenics part of the story Mm
1: -hmm. well i'm binning this one as well so this one's going it's the first one to go Yeah, I think the whole Tesla Edison thing, obviously, there's the eugenic side. And, you know, we just, we really, really glorify Tesla in this episode. I don't think a celebrity historical has ever glorified anyone quite as strongly as this. It's very, very sugary in its depiction, um, even to the extent that we kind of give an in story reason for why he claimed to be hearing messages from Mars, which is quite odd that we're excusing some of his slightly more out there theories um but it's quite it's quite panto i find edison very they're just too broad the two of them edison is bad tesla is good i mean the fact that when the doctor first meets edison he immediately tells the story about how he exploited tesla you know i expect him to be stroking his beard and rubbing his hands together you know who offers that straight away it, it just feels it feels overly simplistic um and as, as everyone said, the eugenics thing makes that even worse. Uh, the Scythra, similar to you, David, I thought it was too similar to, uh, to the Ragnots, even the fact that we've got a spaceship overhead, which gets um, fired upon. I've got a trouble <clears throat> reconciling the Queen with the CGI Scythra, because they're two, they seem to be two very, very different creatures, even though it's the same race. Um, that's a little bit odd. And I've also got a problem reconciling the very campy performance, with the rest of the story which is very far away from camp doesn't quite sit very well together apart from the fact obviously they're making this big thematic uh, link between the Scythra scavengers and edison is a scavenger of other people's ideas which is very very labored and very heavily laid on um and then finally i'm just going to mention the tardis team last time we were in historic america we had um a story about race in rosa and here not that far away in in years, but Yaz like. and Ryan and even the doctor as a, as a woman are happily walking around America. And there's absolutely no mention of race politics whatsoever. It feels a little bit uncomfortable with what's gone on before because this is a good old fashioned romp and that wasn't. Um, so I find that a bit contradictory, yeah. too. So I'm I'm binning Tesla as well. Joe. You're superfluous this time, but go for it.
0: I am never superfluous. How dare you? (laughs) Um, I'm hoping I'm going to change all your minds now. No, I won't. Um, I feel sad for the three of you, though. Only the second time ever in Doctor Who's history, a woman has both written and directed Doctor Who. And you three men universally pan (laughs) their episodes. Shame on you. It's because we're such...
1: You know, virile heterosexuals.
0: Why? <laughs> oh, yeah. Excuse me, Dylan has just got engaged to a woman. But you married much. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way.
2: Um, thank, thank you very much. I don't I've seen my fair share of penises, so it's fine. It was, well,
0: <laughs> yeah, we weren't oh, going to talk about that. <laughs> I was in his lap a few weeks ago. Oh, sorry. Let's go <laughs> back. Um, no, oh my God! I hope your missus don't listen to this. She's fine. She, she knows my sordid history. Fair enough. Um, I don't really care about historical accuracy. I care about whether I'm having a good time watching a Doctor Who episode because this isn't a piece of history. It's a, a fun piece of television to watch. There wasn't scorpions running around the street back in the day. So I don't really care that they're omitting some of the the edgier Details of this man's character. I'm just carrying scene to scene. I'm having fun with a Doctor Who episode.
1: I'm going to remind you of this, Joe, when we come to Churchill and the Moffat era. I'm (laughs) I'm mentally banking
0: this conversation. Yeah, but I wasn't having fun scene to scene in that. That's just shit all around. (laughs) This is really fun. It's a fun, tasty, witty, uh, clever. It looks brilliant. I mean, this looks astonishingly good. It opens up on that shot of Niagara Falls. It ends with a reenactment of historical New York with awesome CGI scorpions chasing Re- Yaz down the street. I mean, it just looks fabulous, this. It's got a sequence on a train, and I'm a boy. I love a sequence on a train. I don't know why. It's another great turn for Jodie Whittaker as well, who gets to be the scientist again and, and work with other scientists, and so they're leaning in that. But she's really funny in this as well. And I don't know why, but every time she puts goggles on, I just think she's she looks so cute. And she's wearing goggles in the climax. Um, this needs to go through for the pure reason that uh, the way to stop deadly scorpions coming <laughs> after you is to throw a bread basket in their way, which is very, very funny. I know, like you make good points about how this has been written and what is not in it. But what is in it is perfectly entertaining to watch. I think it's good, solid meat and potatoes, Doctor Who, in a season that makes good, solid meat and potatoes, Doctor Who, look exceptional. So that's why I would put it in.
1: Well, you're outvoted, Joe. Tesla is the first to fall. Boo hiss. So, David, we're back to your
3: second choice. Right, I'm going to be positive again because I've kicked loads out and I've given this season a bit of kicking. So I'm going to do something positive and I'm going to keep The Haunting of Villa Diodati, which I think is, for me, best episode of the season and possibly the best episode of the era. I think the it has got some genuinely creepy and effective atmosphere. You know, it's spooky. It's a ghost story. You've got ghosts in the, in the background kind of hidden in the shadow. There's a couple of moments that are genuinely unsettling and even that that's watching it knowing some of the stuff is coming what you know, watching it with you know turning the lights out and watching it at night and you know the the lightning flashes and all of a sudden there's a figure in the background and there's a point where the door closes and you know something's going to be there and it's there but even then it still just gives you a moment so it is genuinely unsettling at times and that just shows how well directed it is as i said well yeah best watched in the dark second reason is a shad so again, another really good creation for this season, another villain and presents a proper palpable threat. The, you know, the the number of times when you've got monsters where you do they feel like they've genuinely a threat to the Doctor and the Companions and everybody else, Ashad definitely does. It's a force of nature. You know, it just can't be you can't be stopped. And probably the one of the best scenes of the episode is the scene where Mary, Mary Shirley confronts Ashad. And it completely subverts your expectation because you think she's appealing to the man behind the machine, and for a second you think, oh, maybe she's going to break through to him and you're going to convince him to be, you know, and he's not because he he was a he was a monster before he was a Cyberman, you know, and that is a chilling moment, and it is just really really effective. Third point is the Doctor's taking down of the Fam, and I think that scene. I've made no secret. I don't think the fact they're not my favourite set of companions. I find them a little bit bland. I think that I understand what they were going for. I know that they we're not having these special time-altering companions that we had with the Moffat here and everything. I get they're meant to be more down to earth and everything. But I do find them just a bit boring at times. But this story makes almost a point of that. And it's not just when they have that scene where they have the argument and the the, the this but this command structure isn't flat, it's mountainous. And she challenges them. And what do they say in retort to that? What's their clever comebacks? They don't say a word. And it's like, you've just, you've basically taken down your friends. You have basically taken them down a peg or two. And okay, I'm agreeing. I'm kind of on her side with that. (laughs) But it's really, it's, it's, and Jodie is, again, one of Jodie's highlights. I think when she's angry, when she's got that sort of fury That's what holds my attention. There was a scene in Timeless Children where she basically throws the master to the floor Mm -hmm. in almost rage. That was great. And I wish we'd seen a bit more of that at times. So I think it definitely, and then there's so much more stuff. I think it's actually a really well-written story. I think it ties nicely into the story arcs that they've got. So they've already set up the lone Cyberman turns up and is a proper threat in the Siberium, um, which is just the the bit, you know, it's, it's effectively, it's a MacGuffin. It doesn't really matter what it is but it's nicely done i'm just just going to check that i've got anything else written down no that's that's the main things. i think um there's also a nice little twist that the ghosts that graham sees they don't resolve and normally i would get annoyed by that but i wasn't there i actually quite like that they've deliberately left something in just completely random and unanswered and i think it's really well done um so yeah um they're the three reasons for keeping it but it is for me that's in a series that I have been quite critical on and have been quite harsh on, that's the top.
1: Brilliant. So our comments on Haunting of Villa Diodati, the best of the season, says Paul Quinn. Ashad is one of the best creations of new and old Who?
0: Michael Storm says, best of, uh, best episode of the season without a doubt. The Haunting of Villa Diodati, with Jodie given some meaty material more agency. Ashad is a great and memorable villain. Byron is characterised more like a man rather than the perceived image of a man.
1: Melvin Penner says, as a former academic and scholar of the Romantic era, The Haunting of Villa de activated literally every pleasure centre in me. Joe, have you had (laughs) literally every pleasure centre in you activated? (laughs) That was your inspire for, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Most every time the Byram Shelley Circle is presented in media, the actors are way too old. Props to Andy Pryor for age-appropriate casting.
0: No, not the mind probe, says astonishingly awesome.
1: And Jack Coyer says, terrific. Best of the series. Maybe the era. The Scooby-Doo cold open moment. Actual comedy in the Chibnall era. Excellent performance from Mary Shelley. Jodie is fantastic, particularly the team speech and her Ashad face-off. Love Graham's ghosts. Okay, so an impassioned plea from David. Um, I'm going to jump in first on this one and I am going to agree with David. Uh, I think there's a hell of a lot going on here. The period is really well established right from the off. In the previous episode, which was Can You Hear Me? we were in 14th century Syria and everyone was talking in contemporary language. Here, right from the off, we've got a much more poetic Georgian language of the era, and I think that really helps set the tone. The house looks absolutely beautiful. it's almost a character in its own right. We all know how good the BBC is at period drama, and I think the fact that it's lit by candles and by flames looks beautifully really atmospheric um we get lots of external shots of the house alone very much based base under siege and the weather yes it's cliche to have downpouring rain and wind blowing the shutters in and thunder mm. and lightning but my god it really sets the tone and you'd notice the difference when you get our flashback to shelley in the bright sunshine outdoors you suddenly realize how dark mm. the rest of the story is and how well that's working um i think the atmosphere is really helped by all the poltergeist activity um you mentioned, David, the, the maid and the young girl that Graham sees, they're so creepy. And you're right, it's great that we don't get an answer for them. I love the house reconfiguring itself like Castro, uh, modern day Castrovalva. Um, But it's done really simply. It's not done with big tricky effects. They're just cuts. Um, so it's quite disturbing. You're wondering what's going on. But again, I think from a directorial point of view, it works really well. Uh, and the distant image of the glowing figure, again, looks very ominous, such great atmosphere. And Jodie. Jodie, this is a great, great episode for us. She gets to be light and playful. When the threat arrives, she's totally serious, totally determined. She's angry. She doesn't want to lose anyone else to Cybermen. Obviously, we're guessing, referencing back to Bill, possibly also back to Adric, but she probably wasn't cross about Adric. Um, (laughs) Confrontation with Ashad, she gets a couple of those. There's a one in the upstairs room beautiful direction where we see Ashad sweeping away the furniture and then you just see the doctor sat on the bed in the Mm -hmm. background and and she stands and comes to confront Ashad. You're right David, I like you. I like it when she gets angry. I like it when she gets cross. I think it works really well. You're right, the confrontation with the fam is blistering. Um, I don't like though, the one thing I don't like about what they do with the character is that she shows Shelley his death which is a little bit inconsistent given what we've just been talking about in Spyfall, where she wipes people's memories. Here, she actually leaves someone with the memory of how they die with foreknowledge, which is a little bit odd, but let's work past that one. Um, Ashad, as you said, is brilliant. I think it's a great example of where you've got fantastic costume design, Brilliant actor, good writing, creates a really memorable villain. If you think what else we've had in the series, Tim Shaw, Jack Robertson, and Ashad. Really, is there any competition? He's fantastic. He's completely brutal. He kills the butler. He snaps the maid's neck without a second thought. Really horrible scene. Picks up the baby. You genuinely think he's going to kill the baby. Um, Yeah, he's a great, great monster, and it was great to see more of him in the following two. Um, And I'm going to pick a fourth point for this, because I really like this episode. Mm Comedy. I slagged off <clears throat> comedy bones earlier on. I think there's some lovely comedy here. The juxtaposition when the fan walk in, expect to see these great writers, the zenith of their creative genius, and they're all playing parlour games on the floor. Um, I love the butler's world we As every time he sees these young Foxy just in the background raising his eyes, sighing. I think he's very funny.
0: And, and you're the, basically I, the butler of the chimney wearer, aren't you? Exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: and who doesn't love Graham looking for a toilet? I mean, come <laughs> to
0: earth. Uh,
1: yeah, Bradley Walsh doesn't get enough kudos just for playing the everyman, <clears throat> wandering around the house looking for a low Great. So yeah, for me, this is staying in.
0: Go on, Dylan.
2: Um, this is one that ultimately I'm going to put through, but I'm really on the fence about uh, because I, I just, I really resent when Doctor Who resorts to what we fans call gothic horror, which apparently just means set at night in the 1800s. Um, and I. There's a few too many cliches for me here, and actually I prefer my historical characters speaking in modern day. I don't need, you know, Regency language and whatever era Georgian, whatever era it's in, I don't need it. Just talk to me properly. Um, But I can't not put it through because, you know, I, I find the story treads water until Ashad shows up, but when he does show up, it's brilliant. I want more of that house being weird and trapping people and and doing weird things. So I'm putting it through for Ashad, who's a vicious, complex character that does something new with the Cybermen after they've become foot soldiers for so long. Uh, I like at the end and that the doctor sacrifices the future essentially to save one person it's a very doctor moment and i like that byron as his personality and his relationship with women it doesn't romanticize him he's a bit of a cunt and they all realize it by the end they're all all these supporting characters are people with complex relationships with each other and the, uh, the cast in general so i i can't not put it through but it is very low in my rankings of this season.
0: I, well, I get it because I remember when we did Village of the Angels in the Flux, which is another Maxine Alderson episode and another yeah. massively popular episode, but it is almost like in the DNA of Doctor Who fans that the second we head back to Hinchcliffe, yeah. we all get a fucking hard on, don't we? Uh, But this is fantastic, let's not lie. And I'm very pleased to say, gentlemen, you've all put through the fourth episode that was written and directed by a woman. So well done on that, Scott. (laughs) The third one is Can You Hear Me? Which I believe is also uh, a woman, woman. Um, Three scenes as to why I'm putting it through. I'll be very succinct because you've all been very detailed. Uh, The exposition scene at the beginning where they're all dancing. That's how you do it, Chibnall. They literally come in, it's a fun scene where they're all dancing, they're all gossiping, so there's a reason for them to be giving all that information out, and in less than a minute, you know everything you need to about those characters. It's beautifully done. Um, the scene uh, that Rod talked about, about Ashad picking up the baby, I was genuinely on the edge of my seat with my hands over my mouth like this, thinking, that is he going to kill a baby in Doctor Who? because, you know, Moffitt did it, so maybe we'll go there, although that was just <laughs> goo. It was so suspenseful, that scene. And the third scene I just adore is right at the end. It's a, a poem, a celebration of the 13th Doctor, beautifully written and beautifully filmed with a gorgeous final close-up on her face. As a celebration of Jodie, it's wonderful. All the other reasons you said, I mean, it's an absolute classic. Yeah, it's going through.
1: Yeah. Okay, so five out of six so far. Okay, so we left with two. I'm going to go next, Joe, because I want to be Mr. Comungeonly again. So we've got Can You Hear Me and Orphan 55. Can you imagine which one I'm going to pick? Orphan 55. It's got to be Orphan 55. Now, I listened to your podcast with Paul Quinn. um, So I need to say one thing from the off. I have... No problem whatsoever with the environmental message in this episode. I don't even mind how it's delivered. I watch John Pertwee, Doctor Who, and I get these um, long speeches about the devastation that man is doing to the planet pretty much every other week in Pertwee. Yes, TV's moved on since then, but personally, I don't mind. It's ironic that in the UK, we've just gone through a period where... We did a drama on ITV in the new year about the post office scandal, which is a national scandal been going on for 20 years now. Um, and the difference that drama has made to the country and to politics is incredible. It's really made dramatic change. Um, People have been reading about this scandal for, well, easily 15 years since journalists picked it up, and no one's really kind of understood it, but put it in a drama where people can empathise with characters and they see what's going on, and my God, people are outraged. So yeah, TV drama, there is a place for delivering hard messaging, and I'm perfectly happy for Doctor Who doing that. So that's my starting gambit. Apart from that though, the episode is shite. So <laughs> let's start. I don't even know where to begin with this one. Um, let's start with the plotting. This is possibly the most generic bland plot I've ever seen Doctor Who do. It feels like Have you has... never watched Smile then? This is a million times worse. <laughs> this feels like it's a story from an old annual written by someone who read a one-paragraph summary of what Doctor Who is, but never saw it. I mean i don't want to give too much away but edheim's previous story um it takes you away i think it's fantastic i don't want to preempt a fourth thing but everyone will have forgotten that by the time we get to series 11 but this is just dire in the extreme it's very much a base on the siege story but that siege starts within four minutes of the episode we do not get time we start with our a TARDIS scene, then we're down on the planet and we're straight into the siege. We don't get any time to understand the setup or the characters. We're straight into the drama. So, how am I going to feel about anything if I don't know what anything is?
0: Hang on. Uh, you don't understand the setup. It's a holiday camp. That's made perfectly clear. You don't understand the characters. There's the security woman. There's the squirrel that runs the place. No. There's. Um... No. Vilma and it. Benny, they're on holiday. They've all, been, they've all been established, and so is the saying.
1: Within four minutes, no, they haven't. We've got guest cast. They're dressed like extras from the Victoria Wood parody or the Lenny Henry parody. Hyphen three, the pantomime bloody dog with the Brummie accent. God save us. Ooh, oh, I love us. I love us. Father and a son with green hair. Oh. That's really out there. Oh my God. Then we get the monsters. They are the worst variety of monster. They look lovely before you your jaw drops, but they're lumbering late extra. They have no personality, no plan. They are literally just mindless marauding That's monsters. Boring. Did you it's miss empty. the point? It's empty. There's nothing to they're it. They're supposed to be savages. A base under siege, roaring monsters come in. They run around. Why do they go outside? It's an escape into danger, to quote good Terence, just to create jeopardy and peril. They all get on the bus. Why? God knows how, but anyway, they do. They run around to go after Benny. Oh, who cares about Benny? God <laughs> <amazing>. <laughs> and how does the doctor suddenly realize she can mind meld with the dregs? She goes up to mind. What? How? When? How do... They're savages. You've just said to me, Joe, they're savages. She happily walks up to him and mind melts with him. She's she reads watching a mind. Star
0: Trek. That's the trouble. She
1: reads his mind and she sees things that happened in modern day Earth. Well, if you read my mind, I can't tell you what was happening to Homo sapiens in caveman times. Have you ever had your mind read? You well, don't know. You don't know. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> don't knock it till you tried it. This feels like a flawed argument to me. Talking about bland, generic stories... This story has four, yes, four noble self-sacrifices. One isn't enough, two isn't enough. One character even self sacrificed themselves twice, for Christ's sake. There are four self-sacrifices, and then we end with an explosion. Oh, whoopedo. doo We've got the plot twist, which is Mysterious Planet, and they, that's not even good enough to do the underground. We now have to labour that point with a Made in China sign on the furniture, just in case we didn't quite get it first time round, horrible. So the plotting is abysmal. Then we get the characters. These are the blandest set of caricatures I've ever seen in a simple story a daughter-mother, a father-son. We don't get any time to spend with them. So this great revelation that Kane is Bella's mother, who gives a fuck? I don't know who these people are. I've never <laughs> met them. I don't care. I've never heard you swear so much in an episode. Oh, <laughs> Vilma. Vilma, my God. Oh. The Jenny Laird of the modern series. We're
0: getting him back.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Oh, <laughs> God. I mean, she just Benny, but no wonder it's become a meme. It's embarrassing. Nevi and Silas have green hair. They talk about the fact we have green hair. Oh, it's the same colour as our hair. Yeah, we can see that and it's shit. So stop going on about it. Can I say
0: one thing? (laughs) No, you can't. You say that they're all really unmemorable, but if you ask anyone, anyone about the woman who says Benny, everyone will remember her. And everybody. Yeah, it but don't it matter you said, I'm, you said you said memorable, and that's not unmemorable
1: yaz and graham wasted yet again at least ryan gets to flirt a bit but oh god direction right direction's the other thing that i don't get in this they land on tranquility graham reacts as though it's a paradise all we see is a bland concrete piazza and graham's going on as though this greatest thing in the world clearly he likes concrete um
2: he when is from Fred's Sheffield.
1: first attack, the doctor issues a tannoy and warns them all of this attack. Yaz and Graham come walking towards her five minutes later as though they're on a Sunday afternoon stroll. She's always
0: overreacting.
1: To completely destroy any tension whatsoever. We told Orphan 55's Baron There's bloody trees popping up everywhere. Something happened with the location shoot because there are no dregs on location. We talk about them, we hear them, we don't see them. They're green screened in a little bit later That's on.
0: fabulous CGI vistas of them on location. Yeah, not
1: with the bus, there aren't. I've seen the this
0: episode. Do
1: you know? Oh, it is the worst, blandest, most generic thing I've seen in my life. And funnily enough, for that reason, I'm feeling it. I, th- I thought you were going to keep it. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm really surprised by you. <laughs> I was
2: waiting for your butt. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I beg your pardon. Shall we go to the comment? Oh, I think we should. Yeah. <laughs> Fraser Gregory says Best is Orphan 55. Oh, Wickedly so. funny James script. Non stop plot that also delivers an important message.
1: Daniel Knight is correct. Worst is Orphan 55, a reasonable story ruined by poor direction, such as not realising someone screeching, Benny! 37 times in 40 minutes would be extremely
0: irritating. See, Daniel Knight knew who the characters were, didn't he? Um, Paul Quinn, uh, esteemed gentleman, says Orphan 55 is brilliant. The hate towards it is entirely disproportionate and I suspect it was partly contrived by people desperate to stop the environmental message. The final speech may be unnecessary to the plot as the message is clear, but it's a crucial message.
1: keep the message, been the other 44 minutes. Michael Storm says the weakest by far is Orphan 55, which manages to be unoriginal, dull and full of some of the worst dialogue exchanges ever committed to screen. It's somewhat amusing that Chibnall famously went on national TV, slagging off Trial of a Time Lord, then rips off part of it in his own era.
0: Jack Coyer, totally all over the place. I feel bad for it. This needed a stronger hand over it, possibly some RTD or season 24 camp production value. There's a lot of camp in this, Jack. (laughs) Unironically preferred, preferred the Benny stuff to most. That felt like what the story actually wanted to be. The ending is a miss.
1: No, not the Mind Probe says Orphan 55 is a cracker. Aliens meets the seventh Doctor vibes. Again, like a virgin new adventure.
0: Big Orange Michael. Worse is... Bloody hell. Worse, worse, best, worse. (laughs) Worse is Orphan 55. Makes the cardinal sin of being dull and having tedious supporting characters who I wasn't invested in. So when they're all eliminated, I wasn't concerned. Guess what's coming next? Well, Joe, you can read the next one. Graham Ward says Orphan 55 is best. It speaks for itself, <laughs> especially if you're a carnival era fan. Joe's laughing because he knows I've saved the best
1: comment till last, which is from Palin the Big Talking Bird. And Palin says, dog shite. So wow. uh, I think I've probably made my feelings on this reasonably clear. So um,
0: the wait. only time I thought you were going to have a heart attack more was when you talked about Legopolis. <laughs>
1: David, would you like to respond?
3: What's wrong with Lagopolis?
0: <laughs> oh, you'll have to listen to the episodes coming out next week, all right? <laughs> um
3: oh, is it do I love it or do I hate it? Um, I hated it. And it, uh, as I as I said four years ago, uh to this day when I first watched it, I, I th- there's um there's a gif I sometimes use which is from Blackadder's Christmas Carol, where he just slowly applauds and just says utter crap. And I think for me that just sums up this. It, it it is one of the low points. Um, I appreciate the people enjoy it. I appreciate people love it, but I am not one of them. Um, and I can't, and Rod, you've kind of covered a lot of the points that I made. I think there's just far too much going on. The characters are memorable, but for the wrong reasons. Um, again, some strange, bit. I think there may well have been some production issues on location because Benny's fate is off screen and then described to us in this, in a very odd way. Um, pain relays it. So we've gone to the, the, the story has made this whole point of taking us out there. We hear his voice and everything, and then it's just kind of almost thrown away. And it it, it does feel like something has got it. I think when we were doing underworld, it's like, I, I remember making the point that sometimes things can go wrong and they can become a production issues can become apparent on screen. And often 55, I felt like something hadn't gone right in production and I think it's one of the few times where I, it, it, to me, it just felt that it was seeping through into the story. Plenty of other Doctor Who stories have troubled productions, but it's not apparent. This, for me, was one of them. We don't know. I could be completely wrong, but it definitely something felt amiss. But my one of my main reasons for for chucking it is the Bell Kane story because are we meant to at the end within the whole thing with the thumb sucking? I and mean, are we meant to feel sorry for her at the end? She's the, she's the cause of like. All of this, she you know, and because she's got you know these these parental issues. And if she'd, for example, been an environmentalist, and that had actually been the reason for doing it, a bit similar to Kablam, potentially, but you could have still actually seeded that whole the orphan planets they should be left alone, these are you know planets that have been destroyed by humanity, we shouldn't be building holiday camps on them or anything. But instead, you get this odd mother-daughter thing. And then it's like, are we supposed to like her? Are we supposed to be sorry for her because I didn't, and I was, you know, I was kind of willing to get killed. I'm sorry, off. it's myself, David. I was watching it, um, and you know, I think she's meant to have this bit of this romance subplot with Ryan, which just doesn't work because he's so boring. Um, he's and, very hot, um, so, though. Very hot. Yeah, but he doesn't know how to deliver a line.
0: There are oh, times he I watch does. Him, he does. Yeah, badly. No, go watch that scene in resolution in the cafe. He can act.
3: No, but not all there are times it was like, are you sure you don't want to take that scene again? There are some there it's frankly, he gives some of the worst line readings. What about I think, he, I I think got Jackie Lane or... gives better line readings than he does? I'm sorry, I think he's one of the worst performed companions oh. ever. I've said it. I've gone out there and said that I am probably gonna oh, get kind of you I'm seconding all, you, David. How bring interesting. Back, bring back dodo, I say. Yeah, so. I, I, a lot of the reasons to bid it have been said i can't really add anything more to it um i've got no problem with the environmental message i think it's it's important and everything i just think it could have been written more effectively into the plot than it is i think i don't think it's as well integrated as it could be
2: i love this story i literally went online after it aired, uh, thinking god that was great." Anybody who loves classic Doctor Who must surely have loved that because that was a prime slice of classic classic series Doctor <laughs> Who. And uh, I, I genuinely thought this episode had killed somebody. Um, so positive points: it reminds me a lot of the McCoy era, which is my favourite era of the classic series. It's you know it's aliens set in Butlins with pensioners and furries. It, only Doctor Who would bring along a pensioner it's funny it's scary there's lovely character moments for ryan i know that the performer the lady that says benny uh, isn't the greatest actor but I, that doesn't bother me the doctor who is littered in the new series and the old with dodgy performances and at least this one spawned a meme or two and i think you know a, a lot of people criticize the sort of green hair and the uh, and the the, the the dog woman but it it doesn't it she comes across as a furry to me. She doesn't come across as like someone that that's her race. And also I'm all here as a, a brummy myself for brummy representation on screen because Doctor Who's never been to Birmingham. There's never any Brummies in it. So I'll I'll take it where I can get it. Thank you very much.
0: You gotta uh, you gotta introduce these characters in broad strokes because we're telling a quick story. We haven't yeah. got time to have ten minutes to get to know these people. Green Air, father son, um dog person or whatever she yeah, is. That's exactly. enough.
2: That's enough personality that anybody needs, right? Um, (laughs) I love the design of the dregs. I know it's an obvious one, but they're a very scary Doctor Who monster, even if they are lumbering latex and they have that terrifying roar. And uh, thirdly, I think there's a great tension and pace to it, as and especially as things start to go west, it's a perfect build-up build, build up before we really realise what's going on. I think the pacing is bang on for this story.
1: I've realised I've made a mistake doing this one. I should have let you pick this one, oh, Joe, and then maybe the we'll have chucked this out.
0: Tactically, I was always going to choose, can you hear me? So this was going through. Don't you worry you got to play the game. This is a stitch-up. No, you chose it. <laughs> uh, of course it's going through. I've just done a, a very long commentary on it, and I adore it. I like the fact it doesn't play by the rules. It makes you think we're staying inside, and then we go outside. It makes you think we're going to kill all the right people, and then we kill all the wrong people—the lovely old woman and the squirrel. Uh, it makes you think that we're going to get a resolution to the story, and we—in the end, it becomes a matter of survival. We just have to get out of here. Just getting back to the TARDIS is a win in this story because the situation is so desperate. Those drakes are so horrific—you know—they are literally tearing people apart. It's horrible. It's like a—it's a survival movie in Doctor Who done in forty-five minutes. You know, that sequence of all the dregs coming in on the holiday camp, there's hundreds of thousands of them. They're never going to come out of this alive if they don't get away. And the rest of those characters don't get away. So we know they're all dead. Um, I think the message is brilliant at the end. I think the fact that Jodie Wh- Whitka Whisk- is l- literally staring at the camera and saying, you stupid fuckers, you're not doing the right thing. is something we need to hear. And I do think the people that object to that message are perhaps the people that aren't doing the right things right now. And that's why they don't like it. Well, it's just sexist assholes. I don't know, one or the other. Um, I disagree about the direction. I think this is brilliantly directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the money's on the screen again, the location work is fantastic, the interiors are fantastic. Um, yeah, the, the CGI is brilliant. Um, the action sequences are great. Like there's so much going on here. There's so much good stuff here. Um, I think the sequence with Ryan and the um the vending machine is really funny. Up, plays up to both Tozing Cole's and Jody Whittaker's strengths. I think it's very funny. Yeah, I I couldn't disagree with the two of you more. I really disagree about Tozing Cole. I think he's gonna go on and have an amazing career. Like, we haven't heard much of Pearl Mackey since series 10, but we will hear a lot from Tosin Cole post-Doctor Who, I think. Um yeah, Orphan 55 is through to round two. Do you, know, do you
2: know what never gets mentioned about Orphan 55? People talk about Doctor Who not doing enough side work that, it's set in an alternative timeline, it's set in an alternative universe essentially um, and people don't talk enough about how it's a very much a sidestep story rather than something set in linear time I just wanted to throw that out there.
0: And it's got a super bleak ending as well yeah. of, of her saying get it right otherwise that's what you're going to become and then we cut to the drag so we know we don't make the right choices mm. it's a really cynical view of humanity and,
2: and in years to come when society Society and humanity are saved. They'll they'll cite the end of Orphan 55 as the moment <laughs> that we all got up and took notice.
1: Now, well, what uh, they'll do is they'll say, no wonder we didn't pick up this message because it was buried <laughs> in 45 minutes of utter shite. <laughs> so we missed the environmental message. Utter, utter shite. Laughing that's, at Benny.
0: Utter shite that's made it through to round two. Oh, right, Joe, last one of
1: the evening. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, really interesting episode. Um, I'm putting it through, obviously, because I said there was only one I wasn't. I think the fact that Doctor Who grabs hold of mental health and pulls it apart in such interesting ways is great. Giving each of the regulars another character to interact with and tell those stories is great. Ryan and his friend showing a man dealing with depression is really vital because I think that's something that is still considered a bit shameful in society today so it's so great to put that front and centre despite the fact David of that line reading I've got chips though that he says <laughs> when he goes in um I love Yaz's storyline with the policewoman. Backstory for Yaz at last. We could, probably should have done with this in series 11, but I'm really pleased it comes here in series 12. Makes sense as to why she was the police officer and sort of why we why we see her doubting herself all the time as well. Fabulous stuff. Um, I've forgotten what the third one is. That's probably not a good sign, is it? What's the third mental health plot in this?
1: Well, Graham with his concerns. Oh,
0: of course. How could I forget that? How could
1: you
0: forget that? And that scene at the end, that contentious scene at the end where the doctor, because of her social anxiety, cannot comfort Graham in the way that she probably should. And I understand why people have an issue with that scene. And I understand why people don't have an issue with that scene. I don't because I've seen that awkwardness in people when I've dealt with like my mum dying of cancer and stuff like that. People are awkward around those subjects. I think that was done deliberately to get people talking about it, whether they like it or they don't. It put it in the air and people are talking about, you know, social awkwardness around tough conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's doing really, really thoughtful things. So I love that whole part of the story, the mental health part of the story. And I love the first two thirds of the evil gods from the dawn of time Storyline with the creepiest fucking scenes you're ever gonna see in your life of that man turning up in. I mean, if I woke up in the middle of the night and that fella was at the end of my bed with his fingers hanging off, coming to Zelen, Oh, Zelen space name, yeah. <laughs> um really scary stuff and leaning into that sort of dark fantasy that Doctor Who doesn't do too often. And I think it works there, I think it works on the space station, which has got like really interesting design to it. I like it when we then go onto the streets and they're pulling all... It's a bit like the Nightmare Man from Sarah Jane Adventures. They're pulling all the sort of nightmares out of people. The conclusion lets that down terribly. But for two-thirds of it, I'll give it a pass because for two-thirds of it, it's really rather effective indeed. And we've got another, you know, evil gods from the dawn of time to go with the the, the list, you know, in the Book of Lists or wherever that's going to turn up next. Oh, Dylan, you're going to say something then. No, wasn't <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Um, And finally, I absolutely adore the animated sequence we get to tell uh, their backstory. I think that's visually really arresting, and something that Doctor Who should do more of. I don't see it very often. I think I've seen it in a Marvel movie, and uh, maybe one other time. But yeah, really interesting way to instead of just giving us backstory, which a lot of Doctor Who does, to to do it in such a A visually interesting way is great so yeah for all those reasons a good message uh, interesting villains and a weird looking story i think it's vastly underrated this one it's going through
1: brilliant let's go to our final set of comments so crushed dummy said yaz's story and can you hear me is so tangible depression and suicidal thoughts don't always have an explanation on obvious signs and tiny things can be the light that leads you out of the dark a mm. policewoman saving Yaz, an act of kindness from a stranger, gives a lovely explanation as both to her chosen career and why she responds to the doctor in the way she does. A kind, take charge figure who saves people. Of course, Yaz would
0: fall in love with the doctor. Paul Quinn, genuinely unnerving and makes fascinating use of myth.
1: Jason Thompson says deserves points <clears> of tapping a different... Difficult subject, but rather like heaven sent, the very thing that makes interesting and powerful episode massively reduces the rewatch desire.
0: Jack Coyer, why was this not a season eleven story? Could Yaz have used some of uh, Could Yaz have used some of her best scenes earlier? Is it useful to give Ryan Hobbies ninety percent of the way through his era? Has the Zelen finger scene been bested for scares in Doctor Who history? Will these questions never cease? <laughs>
1: Melvin Pinner says, I love when the Chibnall era breaks with convention. Nina Shabaraki's animated segment in Can You Hear Me is brilliant and weird and very Doctor Who, pushing the boundaries of what Doctor Who is and can do.
0: Michael Storm, a more experimental episode in many ways with slow building of dread running throughout. For me, this is the third best of the season, knocked down a few spots due to some strange writing decisions.
1: And finally, No Not The Mind Probe says, amazing, brave, bold and beautiful. So, brave, bold, and beautiful. Is that David or Dylan?
0: Both of them. <laughs> Let's go with
1: both of them. Let's be polite. David, should we go over to you first for your thoughts? Are you Let's go supporting... this,
3: is the other one I, this is the other one I came out on the fence with, because mm-hmm. there's a lot in this that I liked, but there's a... And I and I think, Joe, your point, I think the first 30 minutes is fantastic, and then as soon as um, Zell and Rakaia get down to Earth, I think the sort the, of... The, Energy kind of goes out of it. They get defeated far too easily, uh, especially as he is be, he is phenomenally good. As a, it's another villain, as I was saying before. There's some really great villains in this season. He's another one, and I just feel that they're that it's resolved just a little bit too easily, and that's a real shame. The direction at times is actually unsettling. There's a couple of points. The shots are deliberately, I think, framed slightly. Weirdly, so there's a there's a scene I think it's with Ryan where he's slightly off center of the, So normally he would be sent and there's lots of little touches like that that just add to that sense of unease. Things just don't feel quite right. So I think there's some very, you know, it's not just directed as in nice panoramic shots. I think there's some very clever choices on shot construction that just don't, you know, they 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 don't look quite right. And I think that's deliberate. I think that's to really make you feel unsettled and it's so effective. Animation, again, I think if you're going to do a PowerPoint presentation, um, this is how you do it. It's it's shorter, it's visually really interesting and it gets that story across really well. So I'm not against an uh, exposition, exposition info dump told by a character. It's just if you do it in an interesting way and you do it fairly briefly. If I was to drop a po- a, po- a portion of the story, I would drop the whole Aleppo bit. I think if you'd actually made the focus on just the three members of the fam and really just spent a little bit more time with their stories, that would have been much more effective. I don't think the the stuff with Aleppo, adds I think it would have been much better as a bit more focused on our main characters and really giving them time to shine. That scene, that scene at the end, I've written literally and I'm not sure about it. I think you're right. I think it is designed to stimulate conversation, debate. Had I watched this last year, I probably would have come out of it thinking, okay, I see what they're trying to do. In the last 12 months, I have been in that conversation. I've been in the doctor's position in that conversation, uh, being on the receiving end, not once, but twice last year with family members dealing with cancer. And I've you end up thinking about your reactions you think about how, how do you react in the right way what do you do how you do the right thing I I find that quite a tough scene I've, I find that quite a tough scene and and I dislike the selfishness of the doctor in that scene but then that's because I have had those same that same reaction and so is it I don't like it because it's shining a light on something for myself so if it's meant to trigger a conversation it's done a good job but. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure about it, but I'll keep it in. I think it is what I, I think I wrote there. It's a very special episode of Doctor Who in terms of, you know, um, it's dealing with serious issues and it had a helpline at the end. And, you know, it could so easily have gone in the wrong way, but it's telling some important stories. And I think it's got an important message behind it. So I will vote to keep that. I'm coming to off the fence in favour. Hello. Can I just ask the panel a question, first of all? Uh, not that I
2: want to elongate this too long, but a lot of the criticism about that cancer scene, and you've covered all the, all the major points that I would I would cover as well, but it, a lot of the time it's like, no other Doctor would, do, would respond like that. Do we think that's true? Because I can't see no. the Capaldi Doctor, the Matt Smith Doctor... Hurt we? Hurt we, like... Do so we think there's a Doctor who would respond in, quote,
0: unquote, the right way? Oh, good question. Davison? No, he didn't really have personal conversations. No, he
1: ignores anything personal.
0: Do you know what? I'm going to go on the, and say Troughton. Because that scene between Troughton and Victorian, two of the Cybermen, he shows he can be really empathetic. So maybe Troughton.
1: I think Tennant probably would, but it might be a bit cliched, I'm so sorry. But I yeah. think Tennant would have some empathy. And actually, I'd say Matt Smith would have some empathy as well. Interesting. But you're right; it's probably
3: it's probably the minority rather than the majority. I think yeah. Pertwee would probably come out with some. He would probably come out with a speech, and he'd probably tell some tale from you know his childhood. But <laughs> yeah. I think make it all about him. <laughs> make it about him. But I think he wouldn't admit to not saying the right words. He would try saying the right words. He'd have a speech about courage. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it. I don't think there's a right way to respond in those no. conversations. I'd be concerned
0: yeah. that Matt Smith would sort of bring it down to a level, you know, say illy-willy or something like that, you know, some yeah. stupid term <laughs> yeah. that would really you take know the piss I, out of it.
1: I could actually see Hartnell doing it. Mm. Hartnell's very smart. I think, He's think he companions mean, I
3: mean, the way
0: that he behaves with Vicky, yeah? It's <laughs> like, pull yourself together, child. Come along. Let's have some <laughs> adventures. <laughs> no, That's
3: kind of open the question of if a character in Doctor Who's got cancer, can't the Doctor just take either A, do what? She didn't practice and use the TARDIS to come up with a cure, or just take you to the Bial Foundation in the year 5000. <laughs> mm. Yes. You know, it's one of the things that as soon as the show starts to ask ask those sorts of questions, then you have to come up with an in-universe explanation of, okay, Graham, well, if you're if you, you worried about the cancer, don't worry. We'll pop forward, we'll see Professor Marius, he, he'll sort you out.
0: I think that's why so, so much Doctor Who is so bloody banal. You know, so I don't want to go near these areas because they're a bit fawny and the more you, you deep. You sort of, the, the the premise of Doctor
2: Who is you sort of had to, you almost click an inset universe, like reset for button at the end of every episode. It's very rare, rare that you can, that it doesn't all fit together, does it? You know, it just, it just can't. And I'm not just talking about unit dating. I'm talking about even the morals of the show change from almost episode to episode. But there we go. So anyway, I'm gonna put it through. Um I, I won't labor the points too much about mental health, but that is one of the reasons I chose it. And it's because it deals with the mental health of the, the regulars who never get any character development apparently or anything <laughs> to do. Um and there's multiple times in the season where they do. Um and to the way it handles it visually as well, from you know, there's that scene of Ryan and the fire and the return of Grace the chat at the end and Tybo talking about his depression and stuff, stuff like that. So I just think it's, it's brilliantly handled. I want to talk about the location choices and the production design, which sort of meld into one here. You get the TARDIS landing outside that beautiful brutalist architecture in Sheffield, the interiors of the flats really feel like they're, you know, he's living in some flat that hasn't been renovated since the seventies, but it's still quite beautiful. The spaceship design. I think all that stuff looks great. Um, and just, Again, I I keep coming back to this epic nature of things. It's set over multiple time periods and then seeing Zellin walking through English streets and it uses, much like a lot of the era, using a lot of space and time because it's a show all about space and time rather than, I don't know, just being set in a corridor, for instance.
1: Okay, so I'm superfluous this time round, but I was going to put this through as well. Um, I think it's a really interesting, um, bold episode i'm really glad they tackled the whole mental health issue um i wrote this down selling talks about the cruelty of humanity's own minds towards themselves the fear the doubt the endless voices telling themselves they're incapable and unworthy it's quite poetic i really like it um obviously they're just talking about nightmares there but what they do authorially is then extend nightmares to show that actually, if nightmares aren't dealt with, and that doubt and that fear and that self-loathing, that can turn into a mental health crisis. Uh, and I think it's really interesting and bold step to do that. um I like the fact that obviously they offer one of the solutions, which not a a pat solution, but one of the solutions is kind of talking therapies, and they deal with it quite lightly. I suppose it's diff- it's the Doctor Who story, but there's enough there to show that they're suggesting that you know talking and. Talking therapies is a a positive way forward. So you get Yaz talking to the policewoman. Um, You know, it's not a magic wand by any means, but talking is the beginning and the first step on a road. And I think that's lovely that we get that with Yaz. That's why I don't like the scene with the doctor, because if we're trying to say talking therapies are a positive way forward, I think the doctor kind of lets the side down a little bit. So I'm a bit disappointed on that one. But for me, that, that bit doesn't work. Whereas the rest of it does. It is, um, I suppose
0: but, I suppose if talking therapies are the way forward, it does just go that some people can't talk oh. about it. And it is good to say that, I think.
1: It, it is, but on the reverse side, if we're trying to give an uned, uneducated audience a positive message, maybe that's a bit too nuanced. Personally, I would have hit them over the head a little bit more bluntly. like um, But hey, horses for courses. Um, I think the scene of Yaz taking the 50p coin back to the policewoman is really moving uh it's one of the genuinely moving scenes in in chibnall's area because it's it's real um i think that's excellently done um so yeah the whole mental health stuff i think is fantastic focus on companions positively we see all their fears and insecurities which i think is you know great and does help flesh them out a little bit bradley walsh i'm going to give a call out to as well because i think just his effortless charm creates pathos and likability. Ryan, I'm disappointed in a way that he sees the end of Orphan 55, because, you know, he's dealt with his dyspraxia, he's dealt with a, you know, a bad relationship with his father, the death of his mother, the death of his grandmother. Those, in the context of this episode, I think would have been more powerful and more consistent, rather than seeing the effects of Orphan 55. But... What we do see, I suppose, paves a good way for for his exit because he's saying he wants to spend more time with his friends at home. So that's actually leading up to his exit in what, three, four episodes. Um, and then as we've rightly said as well, really strong villain, Ian Gelder is fantastic as Zellin. Um, Yeah, I think you've covered everything else. They're very easily imprisoned, but they're a good strong villain up there with the Eternals and Guardians and Toy Maker. So yeah, for all those reasons, I'm putting it through when uh, when i moved to london in 2005
2: in every bar in Soho, there was an older gay man who was like Zelen
1: standing there by himself. <laughs> ah, there's always one in a soldier
2: as well,
0: <laughs> sitting there waiting for the young uns to get desperate. <laughs> the
1: question is, Dylan, was there one stood at the end of your bed? No, with his no. fingers. Waiting
0: to finger you.
1: <laughs> I think I've still got one in me. Uh... So we're going to move now into round two. We've only lost one story out of eight, which is. Uh, Pretty remarkable for a social season. We've got seven left in the randomizer, so let's just go for it. So we have got Orphan 55, or Awful 55, as it uh, probably should be known. And awesome that's, 55. That's going up against Can You Hear Me?
0: Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Can
2: you
3: me? hear me for me? Can you, can hear, you me? hear me? Yeah, unanimous.
1: Four for four. Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: had a, I had a feeling we are going to end up being 50-50 throughout. So
1: I'm glad. <laughs> thank <laughs> goodness you yeah. are. I was universal. Right, so another one falls. So we have... Can you hear me again? And can you hear me is up against... Praxius. Mm-hmm. oh well, i didn't want this one
2: Praxias J- for me sorry, Ted sorry sorry i just jumped over no, it no Praxius for me
1: well you did say it was the single best episode so you've got the to best do. the
0: best single episode a single episode <laughs> i think can you hear me is a more important episode so can you hear me for me
3: i think can you hear me because uh, there's m- i enjoyed more in that than the practice and I'm going for
1: "Can you hear me too?" Because I think oh. that story is, um, yeah, it's got more gravitas and weight to it. So, Praxius, Sad times. Sorry, Dylan. Right, we said we crack through these on this, so <laughs> we are now on to "Can you hear me again?" Right. Bifur okay. <laughs> hasn't even come up yet. It'll probably come <laughs> up now. And that is against the Timeless Children. So, can you hear me, oh. Timeless Children?
3: David? Um, I'm sticking with Can You Hear Me? Dylan?
2: I think I've got to go Can You Hear Me as well, just because you're right, it is a more important episode.
0: And, yeah. Yeah, three Um, for three, Can You Hear Me?
1: Okay, well, I'm quite pleased about that, because I'm let off the hook. So, Time Children (laughs) has gone. Haunting again. Haunting of Villa Diodotti comes up against... Fugitive of the Jadoom.
3: See yeah, David? Hold to Villa, dead. Yeah, that one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> it's late.
1: Yeah, I've got to go, Villa, as well. So Villa is through. So Fugitive. Dad just said Fugitive, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Fugitive goes. Right, we're down to the final three. Spyfall, Boo, Can You Hear Me and Villa.
0: Oh, interesting! Three. Mm. No.
1: Can you hear me? Spyfall. fault. Can you hear me?
3: Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Ooh. Spyfall. <laughs> no. Oh! No!
1: Yay! Don't tell me. Can Don't tell me. me. He's gonna win. It. Interesting. Can you hear wow. me? Haunting.
3: Haunting.
2: Can you hear me?
1: Can you hear me?
0: Can you hear me?
1: Yay! Uh We have an interesting winner.
0: Wow. I didn't see that one coming in a million years. Well, haunting wins all the polls yeah i do like haunting but i just think can you hear me it's got something
2: yeah it's just it's a very unusual episode and it's a very
0: important episode so i think i i I think it's great can i say before we out i'm very pleased because we took on a contentious season and despite some big complaints that was two-thirds positive, and I think that's a good thing to put out for Series 12. I was also
2: surprised with how many of the viewer comments were positive as well, and not always in the places
1: you expected them to be. But very polarised. Like you said earlier, yeah. Joe, there was lots of best and worst.
0: Yeah, yeah, there yeah,
1: yeah. There a
3: middling ground. It, it's, no. a, it's a divisive year. I can kind of see why it's a divisive year, but I came, I came through this. This is the second time I've watched it beginning to end, I, can, I, I enjoyed it more. And I, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, is this a series that will grow in popularity over time? I would have, just, just, I would have told you to piss off. Um, <laughs> I, I I think it will. I think some of these stories will age well. I think mm. like um, we did Smile last week, and I'm really enjoying that. And then watching it back going, it's fine. And it's like, will some of those big hitters from before, are they going to... St- are they going to Maybe. stay up there in the polls or are they going to start to drop? And um, are some of these going to rise? I mean, I don't. I, 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 is Orphan 55 going to become. <laughs> is it going to become one of those kind of a bit like some people are with things like Twin Dilemma and everything, just people or Time Flight, where there's going to champion saying, yes, you know, it's got problems, but my God, it's great. Oh, so, oh, I, I, think oh. I, I think fandom might be kinder in the long run. I think if some people just got over themselves and just maybe watched some of it. Because I think there's yeah. there are people who just will not touch it.
0: It's the fact that it is divisive, proving that it's doing something right, that it's not doing what Doctor Who normally does, that it's pushing buttons, that it's more ambitious than usual, that is daring to be different. I'm wondering if all four of those things are true.
2: Yeah. I, I think so, and also Orphan 55 is going to have a deadly assassin sort of turnaround. It's, it's, <laughs> one day it will be seen as one of the greatest stories, but it came all it came at the bottom this time round.
1: It really won't, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> it really won't. Right, well, we have a clear winner. And talking of divisive seasons, next season we're going to cover won't be divisive at all. Is season 22 including the twin (laughs) dilemma, which is really (laughs) annoying people like Fraser Gregory? That's proving the most divisive
0: decision of all, yeah.
1: It is, isn't it? Who knew? But that will, I'm sure, prove equally contentious. So thank you to David and Dylan for giving sterling views and opinions on tonight's episodes. Gentlemen, would you like to tell us where people can find you on social media, and is there anything you'd like to promote? Let's start with David.
3: Uh, you can find me on Twitter form, uh X, formerly Twitter. Um, I, I was on a training course today, and every time they had to mention X, they, they always followed it with formerly Twitter, and it just got <laughs> to the point that it was just borderline ridiculous. Um, you can find me on you find me on there. I'm uh, at pi eighteen eighty three um if you like doctor Who camera scripts normally i'll be sharing some fantastic experts from those and promoting my youtube channel which is looking into mostly uh mysteries and things we don't know from missing stories and i am working on my next video at the minute which is looking at the rehearsal script of episode one of the macro terror which somebody sent me so this is actually the script before they started recording so there's some interesting bits and pieces in there that um Hopefully it will be of interest.
0: If you wanna have a have a sort of different look at Doctor Who, go find this YouTube channel. What's it called again? Your YouTube channel? Uh the links on my
3: my Twitter profile. I can never remember what my YouTube channel
0: is. <laughs> You've got to get a better at marketing this thing, I right? I need to do better at
3: marketing. It's a shame. it's not
0: my job. <laughs> put it put it on the tweets when we put this out, all right? It is fantastic though. It's really detailed. Lots of information. Um and uh oh I was about to say you're better than somebody else, and I won't say that. Somebody else is doing <laughs> something. <laughs> no, it's fantastic though. Go and look at it, it's brilliant. It, it,
3: it when, is wonderful. When, when our Myth Makers one comes out, there's uh, something I found a couple of things that we found out there that was quite interesting, uh, particularly um about Vicky's leaving scene mm. and a potential Ooh. parallel to the rescue. UTs. Yeah. That's exciting, fantastic, and Dylan
2: uh you can find me uh dylan does who on x formerly twitter uh and uh i do a podcast called too hot for tv where we look at everything doctor who related that is not the television show so it's everything new adventures missing adventures bbv you know uh wheatabix cards anything that is not the television show um we will cover it and uh yes we're we're putting out episodes all the time, apparently. Even though I said I was going to
0: cut down, there's no depths he won't plumb to. Even grown <laughs> yeah. time to die. No, when yes. to die? What's it called? When to die? When to die? <laughs> when to die. <laughs> you, listening
3: to that, I wanted to go and watch it just to see oh, is it is out. it as bad <laughs> yeah. as you made it sound? Well, that was that was good work, work <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, so it reminds for us just to thank you guys for helping us out tonight. Uh, And for us just to say to everyone, thanks for listening. And come on, Joe, it's thank you, good night, and And keep
0: listening. listening. Good night. See you later.
1: Good night. Good night. (laughs)